0: Well, greetings and salutations everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia and this is our special open spoiler discussion of the brand new MCU film Eternals. Now, just in case the title and what I just said does not make it abundantly clear, this is going to be a full open spoiler discussion, which means if you have not yet seen Eternals or you don't want to know what happens in the movie, just add this to your favorites list and come back and watch this video another time because we're going to spoil everything. We're going to talk full open about spoilers of Eternals. And guys, I cannot remember the last time I have been this excited. To do an open spoiler discussion. Not because this is my favorite movie we've done, not at all, but I already, I just knew after seeing it for the first time that, wow, this is gonna hit different people in different ways. Like all film does, but this one especially. Like, because it is the most not MCU film out of all the MCU films we've seen. And I honestly didn't know how people would react to that. I personally really quite enjoyed the film. Is it a top 10 Marvel film for me? No but I do quite enjoy it. Like there's a lot of MCU films that aren't in the top 10 of MCU films that I still really enjoy. I really enjoy this, but I do have issues with this movie and we will talk about those as well. So listen guys, uh, the way we handle these open spoiler discussions is that if you have a comment or a question you'd like to ask to have read on the show, instead of using the tip link that's down in the description, that's for the John Campia Show. If you want to fire in a comment or a question, use the Super Chat feature in YouTube, as Sully just did. And we will will get to those uh, before we end today's show. So that's what we're gonna do and here's how we're gonna run it. i'm gonna spend the first couple of minutes telling you about my little bit more in-depth thoughts spoilery thoughts if you will about the movie and then the vast majority of our time here today will be spent taking your comments and questions because i'm sure you guys will cover every base uh even the ones that i don't so that's what we're gonna do and uh just, by the way hello to everybody to uh jeffrey r roberto kylo ketchup c do and ga raymond aries who's in the live chat we just uh we launched When did we launch this? We launched this two minutes ago and uh, we've got 700 people in the live chat already in just two minutes. So uh, let's see how we, uh, how many people we get watching this thing live that is. Okay. So what are my thoughts on the Eternals? General Broad's brush really liked it. Not my favorite, not an Oscar contender. As far as I'm concerned, not the best MCU movie ever made. Like some people were suggesting it would be, um, not even the best MCU movie this year. That's still Shang-Chi but a exciting new direction for the MCU, opening up the possibility that the MCU can even break away from its own DNA to try different things. No MCU movie has ever opened up the universe, not Guardians of the Galaxy, not anything. Nothing else has opened the whole mythology of the MCU universe and the scope of the MCU universe and where things can go with the MCU universe and the the breadth of the MCU universe like Eternals has done. And I really appreciated it for that. Now I'm going to talk first just so I can get it out of the way. Okay. I'm going to talk first about the problems I had with the movie. All right. I hope nobody minds that I start with this. I'm going to start with the things I had problems with, and then I'll move into the things that I really liked. And then we'll throw it open to you guys and see what you guys had to say. Let me say the first thing that I had a problem with. And you've heard me say this already, because it's not a spoiler issue. Deviance. Deviants to me were a weakness of the film. Now as basic cannon fodder for the here, every movie's got to have cannon fodder for the heroes as basic cannon fodder for the heroes. The deviants were fine. That really cool design, these night out of your nightmare design creatures that the heroes can come in to, you know, to defeat and show off their powers and stuff like that worked perfectly fine. No problems with that. But, the whole notion that, you know, the one main deviant, I think it was Skarsgard. Isn't it the same? It, it, correct me if I'm wrong in the live chat, but wasn't it the same Skarsgard who played the clown in It? Isn't that the same guy? I think he did the voice of that deviant as well. At any rate, this whole idea that the deviants can become, he suddenly becomes intelligent. And he said, like, you guys are all seeing, yeah, it was Pennywise. Yes, you guys. All right. Yeah, it was Bill Skarsgård. Thank you, Cinematech. It was Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. Thank you, guys, in the live chat. This is why I love having the live chat. Um, That he suddenly becomes intelligent. When did a deviant get the ability to just fire a couple of its tentacles into a host and absorb its abilities? And by the way, the Eternals in this movie are cybernetic. I mean, maybe it was a mixture of biomaterial and metallic material. Who knows how Arashim designed them and built them. But in its kind of core, they're cybernetic. How does a biological creature fire its tentacles, which felt like I was watching Japanese porn, into an eternal and suck out its memories? That didn't make a lot of sense to me. Now they can play the whole card of, well, they can evolve. Listen, I can grab, you know, I I can grab a a laptop. I can grab this fridge over here right now. I can grab this fridge and I can stick my tongue in it. Guess what? I don't suddenly now know how to be a fridge. I can take my iPhone. Someone's going to make a gif out of that. Guess what? I don't suddenly have. FaceTime built into my brain. I don't, suddenly, I don't suddenly have the ability to make three-way calls. So I get the evolutionary aspect of deviance, but how did sticking his tentacle wiener into a cybernetic being, how did that allow him to learn all the memories that were in a hard drive? I mean, that just didn't work for me. I mean, that just didn't make any sense to me, right? And then this deviant, he just kind of comes in and out whenever they need a random threat to be there. So I just thought it was, I I just thought it just was poorly handled. I just thought the deviant part of it was poorly handled. Not to mention this. Hey, Arashem, here's an idea. Stop dropping deviants on all these planets you and the brand new celestials create if they're causing such problems. Because here's the thing. Arashem said like every million years, they 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 birth a new celestial, right? And Ajak has helped Arashem birth many celestials over millions and millions and millions of years. Okay, well, um, hand up in the class. Yeah, uh, excuse me, uh, question here. John Campy from the John Campy Show, Mr. Arashem. Just wanted to ask, um, What would you say to somebody who would say to you, hey, maybe you should stop putting these problem creatures, deviants on planets that you create? Just saying. Because they had to land on Earth at some point, and the Earth ain't that old, you know, in the history of the Celestials. And I'm just like, okay, cool. It didn't make much sense to me. So whatever, there was that. Another thing that didn't quite sit right with me was the notion, was the whole Thanos aspect. Because here's the thing. They say that the prime mission of the Eternals is to protect humanity from the deviants. But what you and I both know is that their true mission is, yes, protect humanity from the deviants. But the reason they wanted humanity, the reason Arashem wanted humanity protected from the deviants is so that life could continue to grow and flourish on Earth to the point where there's enough life on Earth that Tiamat, the sleeping, the dreaming celestial, can be born, right? And the emergence can happen. Okay, if that's the true mission, if that's the true mission of the Eternals on Earth, then stopping Thanos should absolutely have been given to them as one of their priorities. If the whole idea is that Arashem has the Eternals there to make sure that the, eternal, the, the human population can continue to grow and thrive so there's enough life on the planet to feed the sleeping Eternal, Tiamat, then when a threat emerges in Thanos, who is going to literally snap away half of the life on Earth... Well, then doesn't that directly become something that Arashem would have been concerned about and said to Ajax, how are you still so hot in your fifties? But like after Arashem says that, Ajax, uh, Thanos poses a threat to the balance of life needed for the sleeping celestial Tiamat. You must help the Avengers and stuff. Like, wouldn't that have made sense? Wouldn't that have made sense? So that part didn't really, that part just just sat with me and was like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. That, di- that didn't work. Also, I understand the, the, the Eternals, when they split up, right? I think they were in Babylon. Is that where they're at? Anyway, when Ajax says, you know what? It's time for each of you to go into the world, live a life, and tell me all about your experiences. Like, go and live a life, right? But Druig loved Makari. And Makari adored Druig. Don't you think at some point over 500 years that Makari maybe would have thought, I should go check in on Druig? Or Druig would think, I should go check in on Makari? Or that Cersei would think, I'm just gonna go and check on my family. I'm going to see how Gilgamesh and, and thena are doing. Like I understood why Drury wouldn't go back to see Ajax and all that kind of stuff. But it, that part just seemed kind of weird to me. Like I really, after 500 years, like, yeah, me and my family have Christmas together. Then we go our separate ways, but I still check in once in a while. Maybe I don't check in enough, but yeah, there, there's that. So that didn't work for me so well. Another thing. I love Angelina Jolie, and I really like the Thena character. But out of all the characters, I kind of felt like Chloe Zhao and Angelina Jolie weren't quite on the same page about what they wanted Thena to be, personality-wise. You know what I mean? Like, in one hand, she's just this cold, calculating warrior. But then faced with the prospects of losing her memory, she likes literally weeping, and there's a real softness there that then disappears when she hasn't seen the other members of her family in like 500 years when they show up to hers and and Gilgamesh is in the desert there. And her verse, her only thing is, hello. It's like, okay, but. I just kind of felt like they, were. it's not that I disliked the Thena character. Don't get me wrong. I did. And I thought her action was fantastic. There there was a a ballet-like grace to Thena's combat style, which I thought was gorgeous. And I loved it. And I liked her, but it's just, I sometimes felt like they didn't quite figure out what they wanted her to be. Sprite, Totally got her. Makari totally got her. Kingo totally got him. Gilgamesh totally got him. Icarish totally got him. But I felt like Thena, there weren't. They could never quite decide what they wanted Thena to be. So, anyway, yes, uh, there's that. So that's another thing that that made me go, huh? All right, I, I suppose. I suppose that's okay. Um. So yeah, those are the big parts to me that didn't quite work. Right. The whole. No, the deviants themselves, I thought, didn't work really well, including the main deviant and just overall uh, what their purposes and their function in in the movie were. Um, The whole notion about why they didn't interfere with the Thanos thing when that was directly connected to what their prime directive was. like So that made no sense to me that they they didn't get involved there. And then it felt kind of like they never were on the same page about what they wanted Thena to be. And what her character was actually like. Because in one moment she's this, in another moment she's that. So that, that was... But I still overall like the character I did. But those are some of the things that didn't quite, quite uh, work with me. All right. Let's talk about some of the things I liked about this movie a lot. Number one. Right from the beginning of this movie, you knew this was a totally different movie than any other MCU movie. Black screen, white text starts to scroll... In the beginning, there was Arashem, the prime celestial. It's like, oh my, wow, like we're going there. We're going there, which I thought was amazing. I really, I really like that they did that. And then we go back 5,000 years and the whole mythology that they have been here, living among us, protecting us from one specific threat, that whole thing I really dug, but also this incredibly mind bending spirit expansive kind of approach of saying, here's now our whole understanding of the entire universe. Here's our understanding of the entire universe. There are the celestials. They create the suns, the suns which give light and heat and gravity to a universe that allows life-sustaining planets to be born and form. And then some of these planets are planted with the seeds of future celestials who are born out of them with these things. And there are deviants in the universe and there are eternals created by the celestials to protect intelligent life from the deviants. I mean, that that whole concept is fantastic. I thought that worked. I thought that was incredible. And I, I was almost like gasping, like realizing where they're going to this and just the sheer immensity of Arashem and the other Celestials and stuff like that too. The whole notion that they were around before the Infinity Stones. Like Celestials have been around before that. Before the Infinity Stones even existed, they were around, right? So I adored that. I thought the action in the film was Beautiful. And on, and on many different levels. Number one, I thought Thena's action stuff was fantastic. Like I said, it was a ballerina-like violence that I thought was beautiful and gorgeous to watch. I loved it. Um, I loved Gilgamesh's pure brute strength approach. Like when Gilgamesh bitch slaps that one deviant against the doors of Babylon, Every I've seen the movie four times. Every time the audience just like was giddy when he would just straight up, not another punch, just boom, sit your ass back down. Like, that was awesome. I loved him in combat, the way he used his power and his strength. I thought Icarus... Was like I thought the way he he fought was a very specific kind of way of combat, and I thought that looked great as well. Kingo, I thought at what point is he just going pew pew pew, but the way he used his power was great. And that one time when he's like pulling an entire haitokin, you know, from Street Fighter, and like building up one shot, slides under the Deviant, blows its head off. I thought that was fantastic, as well. But Macari. I put a tweet up of this. On uh, on Twitter earlier, and I I and because I was just thinking about doing the show today, and I put this tweet up earlier. I said, side note, holy shit, do not fuck with Macari. Best speedster I've seen in film. I really like Flash and Quicksilver iterations that we've had in movies. I really, you guys know, I like the Flash iteration in the movies, and I've really liked the Quicksilver iterations in the movies. But Makari will fuck you up. The way. Because speed kills, man. Speed kills, and when her and Icarus started to fight, I'm like, hell yeah! Like, if anybody's really gonna give Icarus a run for his money, it's gonna be Makari. No pun intended. Run for money, get it. ah, ha, no, no pun intended. But the, and you know what I really liked? I like that what they've done with other speedsters on screen, particularly, you know, flash and Quicksilver, they slow everything down, right? They always do the same thing. It's like everything else is in stop motion. And we see our speedster going, ah, as everything else is frozen, right? They never did that with Macari. Macari's like, boom, boom, boom. Macari's just flying everywhere. They don't slow it down and show everything else in slow motion. I like that. But when she was in her fights, Oh, Oh God, that was beautiful. I love that. Um, I've seen a lot of discussion about the twist, the Icarus twist I thought was fantastic. And I love the Icarus twist for two reasons. One, it was incredibly profound for the character himself. Icarus reminds me of, I don't know how many of you guys have seen Les Mis, but Les Mis is my all-time favorite musical. It's my all-time favorite stage play. And one of my all-time favorite characters from Les, he's from Le Mis, it's Inspector Javert. For those of you guys who know Le Miserables, Javert basically is this lawman, right? And he believes in the law. The law, the law, the law. And he is so committed to the law and the rule of law That when he feels like he has to do something out of compassion or whatever, he's driven, he can't, he can't, what's the word I'm looking for? He can't marry the two ideas of I need to follow the law, but I let this criminal go because he saved my life. But by letting this criminal go who saved my life means I'm breaking the law. And he was so despondent about it. At the end of Les Mis, Javert throws himself off a bridge and kills himself. But he can't reconcile the fact that he had to show mercy because this person spared his life. It is only right to now show them mercy. But by showing them mercy, I am breaking the law. My life is dedicated to the law. And he could not reconcile that. And Les Mis ends with Javert taking his own life, throwing himself off a bridge, considering himself damned. Considering himself damned. And Icarus, because that's my favorite character all time on stage, Icarus, that resonated with me because he was Javert in this. He believes in the mission given to them by the Celestials. He is created by the Celestials. He knows there's a plan by the Celestials and he has an absolute loyalty to the Celestials. And then that comes into conflict With his ideas about maybe what's right and wrong, and also whether or not he can follow his fellow Eternals when they start to want to deviate from what the Eternal's plan is. And in the end, he ultimately decides not to stop Cersei because he loves her, but then he's faced with the same conundrum that Javert faces in Les Mis, which is, I just broke my faith with Arashem but I could not break my faith with Circe. And at the end, there was nothing left for him except to fly himself into the sun and take his own life. There is something operatic about that. And if, if you don't recognize it, I don't know what to say to you. But there was something to me that was so utterly beautiful in that pain. There was something beautiful in the storytelling, in the pain of Icarus, in the dilemma that Icarus faced. And then ultimately like Javert following through on what he saw as his only out now, which was taking his own life. I broke my faith with one because I could not break my faith with the other. There is nothing left for me. And he takes his own life at the end. That is fucking Shakespeare level shit right there. I don't, I don't care what anybody else said. That is Shakespeare level shit. That, that is so good. And I remember watching this and I'm just like, that's awesome. That is awesome. I loved that storytelling. I mean, that was gorgeous. And it's something I would expect no less from a Chloe Zhao and Academy Award winning director. But I love that. I did. I loved it so much. Can I also mention another tweet that I put out? It's something that I absolutely love. Look, I am not huge on romantic relationships. In comic book movies, I'm not. Even in my favorite comic book movies, like even me, Steve and Peggy. Okay, no, that's nice. It's cute. I, I, it's fine. I like it. But, I, you know, romantic relationships and love in comic book movies don't normally turn my crank. There have been two exceptions to that. That's Tony and Pepper, and Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone as Peter and Gwen. Those two relationships I've always really liked. But most of the other ones I could give or take. But now there's a new favorite. Druig and Macari, they they didn't have a ton of screen time together. As I put up, I don't like many couples in comic book movies, Tony and Pepper, Gwen Gwen and uh, Peter being the exceptions, but I think Druig and Macari are now my favorites. What is it the kiddies say? I ship them. And I do. I ship Druig and Makari. I ship them hard. Dude, every second they were on screen together was stupid charming. And you know what I loved? I love the way when Makari would be talking to Druig and Druig would would say something charming. I love the way that she, this playful, self-assured playfulness she does, the way she would tilt her head back, smile and grin. Like, oh my God, how adorable is that? The the whole relationship between Druig and Makari. Look, I like the relationship between Gilgamesh and Thena. I like the relationship between Icarus and, and Cersei. I really like the relationship between Jon Snow and Cersei. By the way, how funny was it to hear Jon Snow say, I love you, Cersei. Come on. I wasn't the only one that chuckled at that, right? Hearing Jon Snow say, I love you, Cersei. Come on. Don't tell me that wasn't planned. They knew people would be chuckling at hearing that. Okay, but that aside, the relationship, the relationship between Druig and Makari was gorgeous. And when Icarus, it looked like he was killing Druig, like throwing him back down and eye-blasting him through the earth, the way Makari screamed, I felt it. I, I totally felt it. I thought it was great. The entire end battle between the various... Eternals and Icarus. I love the way Makari fought him, obviously, but I also love the way Fastos fought him. Fastos using his technology, because you, you remember, this guy is the master of technology. He is not somebody to be messed with, okay? Fastos is not somebody to be messed with. If you can master any type of technology to make anything do anything, he is a force to be reckoned with. And I love the fact that he was able to go toe-to-toe with Icarus. I mean, at least for a while. And Thena fighting him. By the way, I love Thena's carving up the uh, the deviant at the end. Love that. Thought that was great. She truly is the goddess of war, so I really like that. And you knew something was going on with Cersei. When she turned that deviant into a tree, it's like I had that aha moment that I think a lot of the audience was supposed to feel. It's like, okay, um, she very well could be the most powerful Eternal. Because you think she could be the most useless one. I can turn a rock into water. I can turn a rock into wood. Like you're thinking, okay, that's clever. But once she just touched the Deviant and it transmorphed him into this tree, you're like, well, shit, that changes everything. That changes everything. And then what she was able to do to Tiamat, it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, once the Eternals bind into the Unimind, but it also it makes you guys realize Galactus better watch his step. Whenever Galactus shows up, just if you see, hey, if you're Galactus and you see Cersei walking down that street, you walk down the other street. Because Cersei just got to touch you. That's it. Cersei just has to touch you. I thought that was pretty good. Uh, I liked that a lot. I loved the, the nature of the relationship between all of them. I really like Sprite. And by the way, how many of you guys realize that in the original comics, Sprite, who, by the way, in the comics, Sprite is a boy. So they'd made Sprite a girl in this one. But in the comics, uh, you know, decades and decades and decades ago, Sprite appeared to the guy who would go on to create Peter Pan and Peter Pan. In the world of the comic books, Peter Pan was actually based on the creator's encounter with Sprite, who was dressed up like a Peter Pan character, right? And so I thought that was a really cool callback in the movie. And by the way, how great was that scene between Kingo and Sprite? When Kingo approaches her and says, you know, have you ever read Peter Pan? I'm like, ah, ah, that's a total, that's kind of a backhanded Easter egg reference to what happened in the comic books. But ever read Peter Pan, you know, Icarus is, is Peter and you're Tinkerbell and we're the lost boys. And thing is Tinkerbell's always been in love with Peter. And I love the way, because, you know, not being able to get laid is honestly one of the big issues that Sprite has in the comics as well. And I love the way that in the beginning, when they're in the pub at the birthday party, showing Sprite's loneliness, she casts an illusion to make herself a little bit older to have some kind of a romantic moment with some dude. And then she has to go back in the hallway and be lonely again. And that's all just a symptom of her overall loneliness that she's in love with Icarus, but she's in the body of a little girl. And that, I don't care if she's 7,000 years old. You, you'd feel real weird about, diddling that 7,000-year-old because that 7,000-year-old looks like a child. Not a child, 7,000 years old, way older than you, feels icky. Feels icky. Um, And that loneliness and then the desire to have then what that connection that she sees humans having and all that kind of stuff, I loved her character journey through it. I loved her character journey through it. But I heard some people then saying, well, it's kind of weird that she suddenly then tried to kill Cersei. She didn't try to kill Cersei. She was only trying to slow Cersei down. That's why when she stabbed Cersei, she then created an illusion of a hundred different volcanoes. So Cersei wouldn't know which volcano. She wasn't trying to kill Cersei. She was only trying to slow her down. Let's be clear about that, okay? Anyway, uh, so I dug that. I thought that worked really well. I loved Ajax. Uh, I loved Fastos. I loved his home relationship. That fact that now he's got something to protect. He's got a son now. He's got a child that he wants to protect. I loved that. I love that he probably more than any of the other Eternals really embraced the idea of now living a life in the world. Living a real life. I thought that was great. And I also love, by the way, maybe my favorite part of the movie was I love in any movie when our heroes are faced with a moral dilemma that they really don't know which is the right thing to do. It reminds me a lot of civil war, right? Both Cap's side and iron man side, both wanted to do the right thing, but they, but both sides had different ideas about what the right thing is. And even the audience is divided on what the right thing is. There are some of you who foolishly take Iron Man's side, and then those of you who are enlightened and know that the truth is we should have all been on Captain America's side. But some of you still don't haven't seen the light. But, at any, but you see I see? Even the audience was divided on that, right? And I love the fact that they put our heroes in that same moral dilemma. We love this planet and we love the people here. We know what their potential is. We have seen them dream and love and create and grow and all that kind of stuff. And we love them. On the other hand, celestials are the foundations of the universe. And when Tiamat gets born, (coughs) when Tiamat gets born, he's going to create a son and that son Will span a universe and, and other planets that will have lives in the future. Not lives that exist right now, but lives that will be born in the future. This has been the way of the universe. And so you have Circe, who is like, the greater good cannot come at the expense of innocent lives. You have Icarus, it's like this is the this is the blueprint of the universe. We have no right, as Kingo said, we don't have a right to kill a celestial. We don't have that right. And so they were faced with this moral dilemma that ultimately had to turn them on each other to a degree. And I thought that was beautiful. I thought it was great. And I love that Kingo, by the way, I love that Kingo said, I'm checking out of this. Because somebody had to take that stand. Where Kingo said, look, I actually agree with Icarus. I don't think it's our place to interfere in the Celestials' plan. But I love my family, and I am not turning on my family. So I need to check out. I love that he did. I would have loved to have seen him, Kamel Nagiani, in that final battle sequence, but, but I thought it made narratively. It was a beautiful, um, moment when somebody in that group had to say, I do think this way, but I refuse to fight you. And so peace I'm checking out by the way. How great was Kingo's valet? Somebody in the live chat, Help me out. What was Kingo's valet's name again? I totally forget. Can I just say I loved him? He was like, Karun, thank you. Uh, Moonraiser was the first one to say, but so did uh, Mason Martin uh, and a bunch of other guys did too. But Karun, he was kind of like Michael Pena's Luis in Ant-Man. Karun kind of filled that role in Eternals. I love that moment when Druig rocks up to Karun and says... Your species is going to be responsible for you. I, I can't do Druig's accent. Responsible for your own destruction. And what does Karun say? Also, in my equally terrible accent. I think we must all learn from our mistakes, sir. I mean, this is, this is, he's awesome. Karun is awesome. In the whole beginning, right, when King was introducing him, and he's like, yeah, at first he thought I was a vampire. Try to stake me through the heart. I have apologized for that many times, sir. It was great. Karun speaking on behalf of humanity amongst and I thought it was very important. He became the avatar for humanity amongst that group. And Karun was just awesome. I loved him. I absolutely hope he comes back uh, whenever they did. He's Kingos as extremes. Kingos, you're like Alfred. Yeah, he's Alfred. He's Kingo's Alfred. Which is great. I loved him in that. So any, oh, and then let's talk about the post credits for a second. Let's talk about the post credits for a second and then we'll get over and start taking your comments and questions. But uh can I just say you guys remember when I said after I saw the movie for the first time I said, "Oh, by the way guys, there's a CGI element in this movie that is one of the worst CGI things I've seen in a long time like it's circa 2005. Like it's 2005 CGI. Now that you've seen it, let me ask you guys if you know what I'm talking about. What was the CGI element? Oh, Suthius has already got it. Jonathan's got it. Dilbot, Pip. Pip. I mean, that was terrible CGI. That was terrible CGI. Now, don't get me wrong. I love, um, shit, what's the name of the guy? I Ratatouille, Parks and Rec, Patton Oswald. I love Patton Oswalt, and I love hearing that Patton Oswalt voice is going to be a part of the MCU moving forward with another character. Love it. But that CGI was terrible. I hope they... Woo! I hope they clean that up if they're ever going to use him again. But then, of course, having Eros, Star Fox, Thanos's brother show up. Uh, I thought that was cool. But the end end credits scene. The end end... By the way, can I correct a misunderstanding. A lot of people think in that first post-credit scene that when they're talking about, we haven't heard from them in weeks that they're talking about, they haven't been able to find other eternals. That's not what they were talking about. They were talking about that. They can't make contact with Cersei and Kingo back on earth. That's what they were talking about. Cause remember they would say we haven't, it's been weeks. We haven't heard anything. And what was the big hologram in the middle of the room? Earth. Earth. And then Angelina Jolie says, we need to go back. And then when Arrow shows up, he goes, yeah, because your friends are in big trouble, but I know where they are. So they were talking about that. Let's just, just to clear that up. But at the end, end credit scene. (laughs) Fabulous. Fabulous. First of all, the sword, obviously he's Black Knight. And he's like, ooh, I can't do it. He walks away. But he, but he's like, no, because he needs to find Cersei. He's got to try to do something to empower himself to be able to find Cersei. He's going to open up that family sword. And he's going to take it, and all types of mayhem's going to come. And then what do we hear off-camera? People have been wondering, when are we going to hear Mahershala Ali? When are we going to see Mahershala Ali? Blade makes his first off-camera appearance in Eternals and it is blade by the way, because like, I thought it sounded like, like Mahershala Lee, but then Chloe Zhao did confirm it is blade. It's blade off screen. So it's like, there you go, baby. So I thought that was great. So both post-credit scenes opened up entire new doorways for where future MCU movies could go. So I thought, so look, uh, summing it all up. Did I like this movie? I absolutely did. I think there are a lot of pros to it. It did a lot of exciting things for the MCU. Narratively, it did some straight-up Shakespearean shit in it that I thought was absolutely fabulous. Did I have issues with the movie? I absolutely did, and we covered those as well. But overall, in the balance, I think this is another MCU win. I I really enjoyed this film. I like it a little bit more every time I watch it. I've seen it four times so far, and uh, I'll see you to fifth. I'll see it a fifth. Won't see it seven times like I saw Shang-Chi. I don't think it's a top 10 MCU movie myself, but a very good movie, an exciting movie. Um, and uh, and I think it it just opens up a lot of possibilities for the MCU moving forward. And so that's my thoughts. Those are my thoughts. But my thoughts are not important. What are important, what is important, what are important, what is important is your thoughts. So... Let's, without any further ado, go on over and start taking your comments and questions. Once again, guys, don't forget, if you want to fire in a comment or question, do not use the super chat, or don't use the tip link that's down in the description. That's for the John Campia Show. For these special videos, including these spoiler discussions, just use the super chat feature on YouTube, and there's already a lot of questions that you guys have fired in, so let's get on over and start getting to it, shall we? And, uh... Yeah, let's get rolling here. Melman Montoya writes, Hey, John, I enjoyed Eternals. It wasn't what I expected. Me either. Uh, but I'm okay with that. It was a thriller. I do think villains uh, let me down. Um... Uh, there's a the second part. I thought they were leading them up to a good climax, but then the main supervillain was chopped up so easily. Uh that was it thoughts. Yeah, again, I I, I didn't love the way they handled the deviants. Obviously the big supervillain was Icarus himself. So that was the key thing, but but I love the way Thena ended that dude. I did. I personally like that. Thanks for that, Ismail. All right, Remmer Bulldog writes. I really enjoyed Eternals so much. It's a really good movie. Only issue is that Deviants could have been done better, but that was my only issue. The characters were done so well, 8 out of 10. I had a few more issues, but I agree. Deviants were definitely one of them. Great, great villains for cannon fodder, for sure. They were great things for the Eternals to beat up, but could have played a better role in that moving forward. Anyway, Orange Hand writes, Gilgamesh was basically Wong with bigger arms, not at all. He was a totally different kind of guy. He was a totally different kind of guy. I, I, don't, see the, uh, I don't see the similarities there. Uh, let's see. Yasmir Hildago writes, Thanos was right. No. No, he wasn't. Uh, Remner Bulldogos writes, Eternal is my second favorite comic book movie behind Shang-Chi. There's so much good stuff. I cannot wait to see what they do next with the Eternals. I agree. I am very excited both for Figure out where Athena, Makari, and Druig, now with Eros and Pip, where they go from there. Cannot wait to see what happens with Dane as they move forward. Him and Blade going to be together. I don't know. I think there's a lot of exciting stuff coming. Ismail writes, was that the voice of Mahershala Ali? Yep. It's been confirmed by the director, Chloe Zhao, that it was the voice of Mahershala Ali. I had somebody write to me saying, John, did you hear the voice of the Watcher in the second end credit scene? It's like... I could see why you thought that was Jeffrey Wright. It did sound a little bit like Jeffrey Wright now that you mentioned it, but no, it was not The Watcher. It was indeed Blade. All right, uh, Cinema Sketch writes, This movie is tough. Loads of great stuff in concept, but I feel like it all felt underdeveloped. I don't like criticizing uh, Gemma Chan, but she was the least interesting. Celestials were amazing, though. I love Gemma Chan. Jenna Chan was the romanticist's heart of the, of the Eternals, right? You had your warriors, you had your poets, but she was the romanticist. She was the one who felt deeply. And I love the way Thena says it to her at the end. It's like, from the day we arrived on this planet, you have loved these people. And I think showing her and her love for humanity was key to understanding why she would want to stand against Arishem. At the end, and that to me played out beautifully. I I personally really liked it, but that's just me. Cinema sketch. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on it. Cinema sketch also writes. I think they should have done a D plus series in the past, then a movie about the emergence. I disagree. I I I don't think no. I disagree. I like stories being told in movie packages. I think it worked much better that way. So that's just my take on it. But thanks for sharing your take. Lakers two three one writes. I found Harry Styles jarring and CGI on troll bad. CGI on troll was bad. Harry Styles didn't jar me. You know why? I had no idea who that was. I'm not lying. Like I knew that's Star Fox, that's Eros, that's Thanos's brother, but I have no idea who the actor is. And it was so funny because I'm at the world premiere and, and I've seen Harry Styles before, but I so give no shits about him or whatever the name of the band he was in that I don't recognize him when I see him. So at the premiere, when he comes walking out, the audience went crazy. I'm like, Wow, everybody here knows who Eros is? I never knew that. And, like, Ann's like, no, they're cheering because it's Harry Styles. Like, oh, that's Harry Styles. Oh, okay. Get it. Well, yeah, there you go. So, no, it didn't seem jarring to me. It didn't seem jarring to me. But, yes, the CGI on Pip was terrible. Terrible. Um... Uh, let's see. Black Rice Nineteen writes, "I like the movie overall. For me, the comedy was the issue. Oh, I like the comedy in it. Didn't fit with the more subdued and serious tone. Makari's speed was so cool. I like the humor in it. I like the humor. Like especially, you know, what part gets me every time? When they're at uh, Thina's and Gilgamesh's, and Gilgamesh is making fun of Pit, or of uh, Sprite, and Sprite puts him in Gilgamesh. I made a Gilgamesh." Put him in a baby outfit. I don't care what anybody says. I laugh my ass off every time I see that. All right. Hero 75 writes, I like the movie. My major issue is that my favorite character, Kingo, loved his powers, had no role in the final ba- battle. That was a shame. It, okay, I get it. It was a shame. But it was the right decision story-wise. You had to have a character take that middle ground. In this ethical, moral dilemma... One of them had to be, well, I do agree with this, but I am not going to fight against my family. One of them had to be that. And understanding Kingo's whole motivation, the fact that he loves his family, and the whole thing that Karun said to him earlier, there is no more noble thing than fighting for your family, or whatever it is he says there in the middle, that speaks that Kingo should be that guy. So yes, it would have been cool to see him in that final fight, but it would have been at the expense of a proper narrative exit for him out of that part of the story. So I felt you, again, stories are not there to serve the characters. The characters are there to serve the stories. And I thought Kingo being that one that took that middle ground, that, that he was just caught in the middle of these two ideals. I thought that was appropriate. And for me, it worked for me, that worked. All right. But I did love his character too, hero. All right. Daniel Luna writes, um, Hey, John, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I love Makari and Druig's relationship. Me too, dude. Makari is now my second favorite MCU character. Also, I loved how intense that scene was with Arashem, how intense that scene with Arashem was. If you're talking about the final scene, like when he comes back to Earth, when he comes to Earth... By the way, the MCU can never be the same again. The MCU can never be the same again. The world has this massive stone statue now in the middle of the indian ocean and the whole world just saw this planet-sized being come into our come right outside of our world and staring down on our world that the mcu can never be the same it's got to be forever changed at this point um anyway uh next up uh we've got a quentin I'm not going to try to pronounce your last name, Quentin, because I'll butcher it. I could talk all day about how much I love this movie. I really enjoyed each character. The action was done so well. Makari, in particular, lo- loved the way they handled it. I've never seen a speedster's power portrayed better. And they didn't fall into the trap of show everything else in slow motion. They just, no, showed her at full speed. I thought that was great. Not that I don't like, like especially the Quicksilver scene in uh, X-Men Days of Future Past. I, I like That scene, obviously, very, very much, but I like that they just didn't do what Flash and Quicksilver already done, and I really thought that was great. All right, next up, Tom Gillard writes, I thought Black Widow was hot garbage. I really like Shang-Chi, but I loved Eternal. See, I like Black Widow. It's my third favorite of the MCU movies this year, though. Shang-Chi is still my favorite. Shang-Chi, I still think, is my favorite MCU movie this year, but I quite enjoyed Eternals. I'm glad you loved it even more, Tom. All right, uh, Shiv Patel writes, I liked, not loved it. No emotions from me when Ajax or anyone dies. And believe me, I'm a big crybaby. I wish it had better character development before death. Um, see, here's one of the, the, the struggles, though. When you have 10... Look, every movie, you have... Sacri- you can't have everything in every movie, right? You're going to have to have some sacrifices. You can't have everything in every movie. And the way each movie is structured you got to make unique choices about what things do you have to sacrifice when you're doing a movie like Eternals where you have 10 characters and you want to give them each. I mean, obviously Cersei is the main character of the movie and Icarus is a second, but really you're trying to give all them proper time and proper, whatever you can only do so much character development with each of them. And I thought the character of the development they did in such a limited time was quite impressive. I thought it was quite impressive. And you're right. I didn't quite feel it with Ajax, with the death of Ajax, because we just didn't get to know as well. I did feel it more with Gilgamesh, though, because I felt like we had more personal time with Gilgamesh. Like when we saw Ajax, it was Ajax speaking to the Eternals. Gilgamesh, we got to know a little bit more intimately. So when Gilgamesh died... And like Thena had a breakdown as a result of it, that one I felt a little bit more. But I thought the amount of character development they did um, there with such limited time was really well done. All right, next up. Ryan Hewitt writes, I had to sit on this movie a few days to really process my thoughts. So did I. Uh, And I love it. I find myself loving the philosophical questions and ethical dilemmas more so than the action and superhero elements. I agree. And that's something that really no other MCU movie has really done. Civil War introduced that to us, but it was still more about, look, when we think of Civil War, we don't think of the philosophical debate that happens at Avengers headquarters. We think of the airport fight scene, right? And that's great because Civil War is one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. But this was the first MCU movie or comic book movie that really put it to me. And and I really quite like the way they did that. All right. Next up, Hero75 writes, I kind of wish they had tied Eternals a little closer to the MCU. Show ancient Wakanda or an Eternal in New York City during Avengers 1. Uh, I, why? Why does every, I, I, I see, I don't understand that line of thinking. I don't, I, and that's one of the things that I've always lamented or worried about shared cinematic universe stuff is, Everybody wants everything to be tied up in everything else. You're in a DC cinematic universe. Whenever something happens, well, why didn't Superman show up? Why didn't Aquaman come help? Where, where was Cyborg? Why didn't Flash could have been there in three seconds. It's dumb that Flash wasn't. I don't think you need to go. Oh, look, everybody in eternal was in New York as the battle of Thanos was happening or the battle of uh, Loki coming in with the armies is happening. Like why? I, I, I don't need that. I'm speaking for me here. I'm just saying, for me, I don't need that. I'm kind of glad they stood alone. Look, they did a little little things. I love Kingo talking about, you know, Thor used to follow me around when he was a little kid. Now he won't even return my calls. Like, they, they threw in little things like that, and I appreciate that. But what purpose would it have been? Like, honestly, narratively, what purpose would there have been to show an Eternal standing in the streets of New York City? Like, what, what is that telling us? What is that revealing to us that we don't already know? How is that pushing the story forward? Did we really need to spend time on doing that in there? And I personally don't think so. That's just me. I don't think they needed to do that. All right. But thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Hero. Uh, Gannon McIntyre writes, I thoroughly appreciated the ambition of this film. It felt more like an Artura piece than most MCU movies. I agree with that being said, I did not enjoy it. It just came off as a mess of ideas to me. And listen, I get that. I do. That's like, because I can totally see, you know, there are some movies that I love that I'm like, I don't get how somebody doesn't like it. But then there are most movies that I love. I can go, yeah, I could see why somebody else wouldn't work. I can see where you're coming from. Uh, Ganim, I can totally see where you're coming from. I mean, it did work for me. I thought it worked quite well, but if you have a different sensibility, I could totally see it hitting you in that way. And so, yeah, that's why when I came out of Eternals, I was like, I don't know how people are going to respond to this. It worked for me, but I just don't know how people will react to it. And there you are. So thanks for sharing your thoughts on it, dude. Uh, next up. Tim Platt writes, John, Blade, the Daywalker is coming. Yes, as you can tell, I might have geeked out a bit in the second post-credit scene. It was very exciting hearing that voice. It was very exciting hearing that voice. Now, I And it's funny because the first time I saw it, I wasn't 100% sure it was Mahershala Ali. The second time I saw it, I'm like, yeah, that's definitely Mahershala Ali. That's definitely him. And it's like, woo, Blade, and they've got some kind of plan they have already got some kind of plan for him, and I like that. All right. Uh, Mighty Tank One writes, I really enjoyed Eternals, though the girl who played Sprite did a really good job. The Deviants didn't really bother me as villains. I think they've done worse. Um, I don't know if they've done worse, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, I, in principle, I do like what they were supposed to represent. In principle... I like what the Deviants represent, a yin and yang to the Eternals, right? I like that. I even like the whole twist about how the Eternals were actually a response to the Deviants. Philosophically, I like the idea of the Deviants. I just didn't feel like it executed out well, but that's just me. All right, thanks for that, Mighty Tank. Uh, Gannon McIntyre writes, Wait a second, I thoroughly appreciated the film. Did you not already say that? Yes, you did. You already said this, Uh, but let's read it again. I thoroughly appreciate this film's ambition. It felt more like an auteur piece than most MCU movies. Unfortunately, I did not enjoy it. It felt like a mess. The ideas never really lived up to. Felt so good to say it, you had to say it twice. Thanks for that, Ganem. All right, next up, Mighty Tank 1. Wait a second. Oh, yeah, no, this is a new one. Uh, Mighty Tank 1 writes, not going to lie, the Superman character turning bad is kind of getting overplayed and everything lately, but Richard Madden was still awesome. But this is not Superman. (laughs) All right, this is not Superman. This is one of the... And by the way, there were multiple people on the team who had just took one side. And remember, to Icarus and to Sprite and to Kingo, he didn't turn bad. Icarus, and this is why I say this goes to a level of Shakespearean type shit. Icarus loves his family. Icarus is also completely faithful to the Celestials who created him. He also respects the grand design of the universe. Icarus was doing what he thought was right. And I think there's something to it that a couple of the other Eternals agreed with him. I love the way Kingo puts it during that dinner scene. It's like, we don't have a right to stop the birth of a Celestial. Because not only... Are they celestials? They're going to, he's going to create a new universe and new worlds will be born and new life will be sprouted up through the universe. And you and I can have an opinion about that, but the Eternals had different opinions about that. And like Icarus was then so torn by the moral dilemma that at the end of the movie, he just decides to end his own life because he couldn't reconcile the two ideas. Faithfulness to his family of Eternals, faithfulness to his created purpose of serving the Celestials in the grand design of the universe. And he couldn't reconcile that, and ultimately it split his mind, and he committed suicide by flying into the sun. So... I personally thought that part worked really well. Like to me again, that was that shit was Shakespearean level, but that's just me. All right. Thanks for that mighty tank. Next up MCU multi-comic verse rights, MCV multi-comic verse rights seemed out of place that the world in a world with real superheroes would compare slash reference fake ones, DC characters. Not really in tons of movies and TV shows. They reference popular works of fiction in the world. Lots of movies will reference star Wars. As you know, fan, fan things, right? Lots of um, lots of TV shows will reference other pop cultural things. So to reference Superman is really not that far of a stretch, especially if you've got a character who flies and shoots energy beams out of his eyes. So it didn't feel out of pace for me. It, it felt totally normal. Felt totally normal. All right. Next up, we've got Tim Platt who writes. I went in expecting a slow philosophical movie when I was watching it. Just seemed like another MCU movie to me. It wasn't bad or formulaic, but wasn't a radical departure in the MCU for you or for me. I, Hey, I respect that Tim. It was for me. It absolutely was for me. Now, remember, it's still a comic book movie, right? You still have to have your action beats and you have to have like, if you don't, you end up with Superman returns, which just pissed everybody off. I mean, I like Superman returns, as a movie but it wasn't a very good comic book movie like when your only fight in the movie is against a plane that's falling out of the sky that's going to turn off a lot of people and it's, of course, this still had to be a comic book movie but i yeah i i appreciate that it hit you one way tim but it hit me differently it hit me as very out of step for the mcu but that's just me all right next up uh mighty where are we at here we're at mighty tank one who writes, so is Thanos an eternal? Maybe he's about celestials and the emergence. So he was trying to prevent that with the snap. But then again, in Endgame, he just wanted to reset everything anyway. So maybe not. So this is going to be very interesting to see because I think, and this is some, something that Robert Meyer Burnett would be able to answer better than me. But like, I believe Thanos's parents are Eternals. I think you guys can correct me in the, in the live chat if I'm wrong, but I believe in the comics Thanos's parents are Eternals. And moonraiser is saying yes, that that's it. And so is uh uh Benja and uh No Cap and Sherea. Yeah, so their parents are Celestials. a uh, little bit of a curveball. Turns out, in the MCU, Celestials are at least part, if not entirely, cybernetic. Right? Part or entirely cybernetic. So, can Eternals rub uglies, do the filthy, filthy bang-bang, and create offspring? And if so, are they organic? So I don't know. And in this, Eros refers to himself as an Eternal. So what are they going to say in the MCU? Is he just like when he calls himself the brother of Thanos? Are they going to say that he and Thanos became um, became really, really tight friends at one point centuries ago? to the point that they committed themselves as brothers, like cut each cut their hand and went, yeah, brothers, and now they just refer to each other as brothers? Are they going to say that they're children of Celestials, children of Eternals? Are they going to say that? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know where they're going to go with it. I am curious, though. I'm very, very curious. Uh, and yet again, the MCU changes the way they do things from the comic books. All right. Next up, Tim Platt writes, Cavill did the I like someone scream better or I killed someone scream better. Um, Yes, he did. But he's a very different character. That Superman character was very different. But yeah, Henry Cavill does almost everything better. All right. um, Corey Frazier writes one of three. Uh, hey John, it tipped in like twenty dollars. Thank you, Corey. Uh, hey John, I hope you had a great weekend. I had a fabulous weekend. Thank you. I've seen some people be critical of the third act, calling it clunky among other things. Eh. Uh, and while I see the, their point of view, it felt like it was quite easy to follow. Um, I admit you have to pay attention, and it wasn't perfect in no means. As Icarus and Sprite joining the Unimind would seem strange. No, 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 no. You got no, 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 no. You got to understand what actually happened there. That actually made complete sense. Um, uh, if you weren't paying attention, I thought the first two acts of the movie were near perfect and was wonderful storytelling. What do you think? I think all three phases of the movie worked and flowed very, very well. I thought the third act was, I mean, did you have to pay attention? Yes. To what was actually going on? Yes. You had to pay attention to all that to, to catch what was going on. If you missed a couple of key things, maybe I could see why it didn't make sense to you. But I thought it flowed very, very well. I thought the third act was great. Again, notwithstanding all the problems I had with the film that I discussed at the beginning of the video for sure, but that aside, I thought, yeah, it flowed very well. And the third act, as the third act, I thought it flowed perfectly. I thought it worked really well, but that's just me. But but it won't be for everybody, man. I mean, that's the beauty of film. It's all subjective. It's going to hit other people in different ways, and that's totally fine. All right, Frankie Gouge writes, or Gouge writes, um, I like Eternals quite a bit and need to watch a couple more times. I am settled I settled in once I realized that I was going to get some different than normally would get from a Marvel film. Yeah, and I think that's, look, and I don't know how you don't get, you're in for a different kind of Marvel film, like right away. Just the fact that black screen and then the words in the beginning. I'm like, whoo, okay, right there. That tells us we're in for a departure. In the beginning was the Prime Celestial Arashem, who created the universe. It's like, oh my God, we're going like totally meta here. Uh, Yeah, so I get it. Thanks a lot for sharing your thoughts on that, Frankie. All right, Uh, next up, Juno Faulkner writes, one of four. This movie definitely wasn't as bad as the critics said. Well, wait a minute, which critics? I, I mean, I still get, people don't understand how Rotten Tomatoes works. Man, this wasn't as bad as the critics said. Well, what critics? Half the critics liked it. Half the critics didn't. So when you say the critics got... I I was talking about this earlier today in a companion video. So I'm saying, man, the critics got it wrong. Well, which critics got it wrong? The the half that liked it or the half that didn't like it? I mean, so anyway, there's that. Let's go on. The movie definitely wasn't as bad as the critics said. The character interactions were great. I agree. Cinematography was beautiful. Maybe the best ever in the MCU. Uh, I enjoyed... The moral dilemma about what's right between saving Earth or allowing an entire galaxy to be born. Um, Macari finally made super speed cool on screen, I agree. Uh, Richard Madden's performance as Icarus was really good because you could tell the conflict uh, between following orders and love. Arashem, man, I cannot wait to see what his judgment for Earth is. Listen, one of the first things I said coming out of the movie, talking to Anne, I said, if there's... Remember... If for you guys who've been watching my show regularly, you know that while everybody's been thinking that Kang the Conqueror is the next big bad of the MCU, I've, I've said I don't think that he is. I mean, he might be. He might. But I don't think he is. I think he's definitely going to be a big villainous presence for sure, but I don't think he's like the next Thanos-level threat. I don't think that the next phase of the MCU is kind of going to be revolving around... um. Kang the Conqueror the way it did around Thanos after coming out of Eternals I feel very certain about that the next big problem in the MCU is Celestials that's the big problem it's it's not Kang the Conqueror it's the Celestials at least that's how I see it that's how I personally see it but that's just me All right. Um, and yes I cannot he's coming back like Santa claus erishim is coming to town erishim is coming to town erishim is coming to town okay anyway gotta get ready he knows when you've been naughty he knows when you've been sleeping he knows when you're awake he knows when you humanity have been bad or good so be good for goodness sake erishim is coming to town Corey fraser writes um, another question, John. Which post-credit scene do you think impacts the future of the MCU the most? For me, I thought the blade introduction was the better scene. However, Star Fox has a rich history in Marvel lore. Yeah, but it's not even Star Fox, it's not even Eros himself or his introduction to being there that I think is going to be a turning point to the MCU. I think it's what the Eternals now, just the fact that he shows them says, okay, I know where I know where Cersei and Fastos and uh uh kingo are being held i know and they're in trouble and we're here to help that introduces a huge thing now where they go with black knight and blade that's also exciting too but probably that first post-credit scene Corey. so i'm gonna have to kind of agree with you there anyway you tipped you send in like a 20 super chat thank you core for supporting us in that level man I appreciate that dude all right next up frankie gouge writes another thing I felt that this is not really a superhero film. There are no real heroes in the film. The most morally gray Marvel film. Uh, let's read your second part before I dispute that with you. Much like he who remains uh, talks with uh, talks with the Lokis, we are all villains here, even Dane Whitman, as the post-credit shows. Um, the Earth was about to be destroyed. And a group of individuals who had nothing to gain by saving it risked everything to save the world. Tell me again how there are no heroes in this. I, I, I don't get that. I don't get this, this idea that these people who could have just gone along With the the grand design of their creator. Let the world be destroyed and then moved on to the next world. No skin off their nose. But they decided to fight against their creator. And even the most powerful member of their own family. And risk their own deaths. To save humanity. I don't know how you say there's no heroes in this. And I don't think the post credit scene proved Dane... I think Dane was shown as a guy who was willing to do whatever to protect something in someone he loved. So, yeah, I don't know that I agree with you on that one, brother. I don't know that I agree with you on that. All right, Uh, where are we at here? Next up, Um, Jacob Hirsch writes, John, I wanted to like it so bad, but I just... Couldn't get into it. My girlfriend fell asleep on my shoulder, uh, though, which made the experience more fun. Hey, listen, man, I, I get it. I really do. Like I said, like when I came out of Shang-Chi, I said, Oh my god, everybody's gonna love this movie. I mean, not not nobody, no movie has everybody love it, but you know, for all intents and purposes, I came out of Shang-Chi. I'm like, y'all are gonna love this movie. Y'all are gonna love this movie. I didn't have that same feeling coming out of Eternals. I know I really liked it, but I, I just had a feeling this is not going to be for everybody, and you're one of the people who wasn't for it, Jacob. Nothing wrong with that. That just means it didn't quite you know, um, work with your sensibilities and stuff like that. Totally cool. That's how it all works, man, but I'm glad your girlfriend fell asleep on your shoulder. All right, uh, next up here. We've got Frankie uh, Gouge again, who writes, uh, "Crazy theory time. Maybe someone, maybe someone influenced Thanos to snap half of the universe to stop all emergencies without really telling him." I don't think so. There's nothing in the movies to suggest that's ever, was ever a part of uh, Thanos's motivation, but the whole rationale does make it believable that at some point, maybe somebody, somebody who knew, maybe another Eternal. Maybe another eternal from another world who also knew about what was actually going on. Maybe another eternal got in Thanos' ear. It's like, you know, it would fix all this uh, resources shortage for the life in the universe. What if we could just eliminate half the life in the universe? What do you think about that, Thanos? Thanboy? Big T? Mighty Big T-Rock? What do you think about that, Thanos? As Selma Hayek calls him Thanos, Anne giggles every time she hears Selma Hayek say Thanos. Thanos, it's just great, and only the way Selma Hayek can say it. But yeah, I th- I think that's reasonable. Again, I've seen nothing to back that up narratively right now, but it totally philosophically opens that up. It really does. All right, uh, next up, Juno Faulkner writes: Maybe the Celestials are the way they introduce Galactus. I doubt it. If you under Stand the difference but it's possible I suppose he's going to planets with life on them because he knows baby celestials are inside and he's planning to feed on them before they've matured Um, maybe but I I, listen I can't say no because the MCU takes a lot of liberties and makes a lot of changes from the comic book lore so uh, you you could absolutely pass Galactus off as a celestial if that's what they wanted to do if that's what they want to do. Let's keep our eyes on that. See what happens there. All right. Um, next up, Paths Unwritten rights. they're advanced robots. So, number one, how are Titan Eternals uh, reproducing to make Arrow slash Thanos, which we've already kind of discussed. Two, does the TVA's robot detector kill Eternals that walk through? I See, you know what? Somebody wrote to me on Twitter and asked a very good question. They're asked, what does this do to the hierarchy of power in the MCU? Like, we, we always thought the Infinity Stones were the be-all and end-all of everything. Well, to the TVA, they're just paperweights. The TVA can, you know, monitor and control time, but before the TVA even existed, there were the Celestials that made the universes that life originated on that later would become people who would be a part of the, or whoever formed the TVA in the first place, right? So what is the order of, of what's the hierarchy here? I don't know I don't know that's something Kevin Feige is going to have to kind of start explaining a little bit as we move forward so yeah we'll see all right next up uh, we've got that was paths unwritten um, remember Bulldog writes oh my gosh you were so right the first post-credit scene in the CGI was awful yeah Pip uh, but I thought the rest of the CGI was good. yeah I overall I absolutely think CGI the CGI in Eternals is very good I think the overall CGI in Eternals is very good. But my goodness, that Pip character in the first post-grad scene, terrible. That's fine. It doesn't ruin the movie, but it does need to be pointed out. The, the, The CGI in that was terrible. All right, Jacob Hirsch writes, Also, Harry Styles is a god, and I'm pumped. He's now literally immortalized. Folks, give his music another shot. He's more than a teen heartthrob. I, I don't know. Listen, I honestly could not hum you one bar. That's the name of his band. One Direction, right? He's the one He's one of the guys from One Direction. I can honestly tell you this. I could not hum one bar of a Harry Styles song. I lie. There is one I know. But of a Harry Styles song or of a One Direction song. The one I know is because Ann plays it in the car a lot. Watermelon sugar, ha. Watermelon sugar. Hi. Watermelon sugar. Hi. Watermelon sugar. Hi. I know that. Like Anne plays that in the car all the time. That that's it. That's the only one I know. Um but that that's about it. And I've no idea. There's some kind of dirty metaphysical sexual innuendo in the in what watermelon means. Watermelon sugar. Uh, and I can appreciate that. I appreciate a good sexual innuendo mixed in with song lyrics. Thumbs up. But yeah, I, I don't really know any of that stuff at all. All right, uh, next up. Uh, Frankie Gooch writes, one of my high points in the way the deaf actress slash character was used very effectively. Imagine being a deaf child and seeing this film. I thought that was great. And you know what? Somebody asked. Somebody asked me at one point. They said, well, they never really explained... I think it was on Twitter, somebody asked, they never explained why there's a deaf one. Well, yeah, but they never explained why there's one who looks younger than the rest. They never explained why one has super mega strength and the others don't. They never explained why one of them has the ability to heal, but the others don't. They never explained why, like, yeah, each of the Eternals are unique. And one of the unique things about Makari was that Makari didn't hear sound, but could totally Makari could hear in a way because just the vibrations in the air, she can sense those vibrations and interpret the vibrations. But yeah, anyway, I, I love the the way that the eternals, being these universal beings, represented the diversity of the universe. I almost well, and then it made sense. He made humanoid-looking ones come to Earth because that's it's humans on Earth. So I get that. But he's sending them to a planet that is going to have this wide diversity on it. So send Eternals that represent that diversity. I like that. I think it made narrative sense. You know, there are some people, for lack of a better term, let's call them losers. There are some people who don't want any diversity in anything. And when there is diversity, they whine and cry, they forced that in there. That was just forced. That was tokenism. I just tuned them out. But here specifically, this there, it made narrative sense that the architect of this planet And he's sending these Eternals to that planet that has this kind of diversity on it, that the Eternals themselves would represent that kind of diversity. So I thought that was great. I thought that was great. Anyway, that's just me. All right, thanks for that, Frankie. I totally agree with you, man. All right, uh, next up. uh, Harry Talks Movies writes, I liked Eternals. It had great cinematography and cool characters. I would like it more if there wasn't a group of that 13-year-olds talking the whole time. You know, it's it always seems to be somebody who has that bad experience, and I'm sorry you had that. I I, am lucky that I have not had an experience like that in a long time. Like, I remember once when I watched the Jim Carrey movie, the number 23, I think that was the name of it. That was the last movie I went to where there was this group of about four or five teenage girls sitting behind us. that said, blah, blah. Blah 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 the whole freaking movie to the point that my buddy like turned around and like I uh, and, like said inappropriate things to try to get them to shut up and it whew, now is irritating. Now I've been lucky as a film fan. I haven't had that experience in like that long. But it's always some people still do, man. Some people still do, and that sucks. All right. Next up, Jacob Silvers writes uh, That Black Knight and Blade tease at the end was amazing. Totally agree. Totally agree. I thought it was great. And I, you know, I just really like Kit Harrington. I just really like Kit Harrington a lot. So I just love the fact that he's going to be a bigger role in the MC. By the way, I loved his character in this movie. I loved him. I loved that character, Dane. He was so good. You could totally see why this eternal Cersei would fall in love with him. I fell in love with him. And I am insufferably heterosexual. And even I thought that's a dude you can love. That is a dude you can love. All right. Next up, uh, Murray Reich writes. Uh, one of two. While the film had its moments, including the action and humor, especially Najiani's character. Overall, the movie didn't work totally for me. I didn't real. I didn't realize how vastly different it is from its previous MCU films. Um, very philosophical stuff pacing times at times dragged out a lot of process in my head when i left the theater although the mid credit scene was amazing i wanted to see that movie minus poor the poor cgi pip yeah i agree i again all i can do is hope murray that between now and wh- whenever they're going to do this again that would have the eternals back that they find a way to make the pip character look significantly better or just don't use him And I I would love to have Patton Oswalt in the MCU, even if it's just as a voice character. But if you can't make him look right, just get rid of him. They made Rocket look great. So they got to figure that out, man. They got to figure that out. Okay, uh, next up. K Major writes, Damn it, John, why'd you start the spoiler show so early? I'll be watching it Sunday morning. Uh, be back later with my thoughts and questions. Well, hopefully, obviously you sent this in 24 hours ago. So hopefully you're back and watching with us now, or you will be shortly, K-Major. Hopefully you will be shortly. All right, Murray Reich writes, So the Celestial Eternals knew that half of the universe would be back in five years post-Snap. Uh, like, what if they didn't? Also, isn't the Snap a universal problem and not a human conflict? Again, I pointed that same thing out, Murray, earlier. It's like, okay, but if the true directive of the Eternals is to make sure life flourishes on Earth to the point where there's enough life to start the emergence of the Celestial Tiumite, wouldn't stopping Thanos become a prime imperative of theirs to do? That did not make sense. That That's a part that did not make sense narratively. So, hey, it is what it is. That part didn't make sense at all. All right, next up. Uh, Moises Marquez writes, I really did not like this movie. The action cinematography and humor and humor were good, but to me, the writing was just terrible and almost laughable at times. And hey, man, listen, that's the experience you had. I, I did not have that experience. I had a much more positive experience than you did, but watching the movie, I I, I get it. This was a movie that was not going to hit universally like most MCU movies do. And I I totally get it. I can totally, again, I walked out of it four times having had a very good time, but I can totally get why you didn't, man. And uh, you had that experience, and it sucks that it wasn't as good as mine. But thanks for sharing your thoughts on it, dude. I appreciate that, Moises. All right, next up. Uh, Moises also writes, uh, Even in the beginning, Harrington's character goes from even knowing what deviants are to the next scene being an exposition dump as if he knew nothing. Well, but you got to understand, he knew something in theory but didn't actually believe it right? So Sprite had said some things to him. He never believed it. And then they show up, and now his worldview has kind of changed a little bit. And so we get that instead of an opening crawl in Star Wars, because that's Star Wars' exposition dump, the opening crawl to kind of set the stage. Cersei then has that conversation with Kit Harrington near the beginning of the movie to set the stage for the audience. It really wasn't an exposition dump because it Exposition, exposition dumps traditionally come later in the films to fill in big pieces of information that the story itself should have told. But when you're in the first act of the movie, the first half of the first act of the movie, which is meant to set the stage for the audience, having scenes of dialogue like that, to me, are not exposition dumps. That's simply setting the stage for our understanding, in which, our understanding of the world in which the story is about to happen. And so on that level, it, it did work for me. All right. Uh, next up. But thanks for sharing your thoughts, dude. Uh Julian Mott writes. Hey John, love the show. Thank you so much, Julian. I thought the action internals was great, especially the way Makari's speedster scenes were shot. Very creative and very fun. Absolutely. Even when <clears throat> like in the third act, when she's like sprinting around the world trying to find the origin point of the emergence, just the way she's flying and then checking down at the at the uh Heads-up display thing and flying through. I thought it looked awesome. I thought that looked absolutely awesome. All right, next up, Frankie Gouge writes, clarifying my earlier uh, sought superheroes, probably meant not superheroes. I do think that the film was also about them becoming superheroes. Um, to, I mean, again, their whole mission in the world was to protect humanity from these monsters that wanted to devour them. I think that right from the beginning sets them as heroic. And then even once they learn their true purpose and the decision to turn against their thing, I can see where you're saying that's their turn to become heroes. I recognize that. I can, I can, I can vibe with you on that. But I still even think right from the beginning, they're very purpose. They are created as heroes. They didn't choose to be heroes, but they were created as heroes. So yeah, that's the way I kind of see it. Uh, but thanks for clarifying because I, I vibe a little bit more with you now Now that you clarify that. I, I still think they were heroes from the beginning, but I can see where you're saying that it, it's them evolving into heroes near the end. I agree on that part. I do. All right, Russell Amador writes, Wow, Arsham the Judge, dude made his presence felt. Clouds move aside and just snags, and just snags Cersei like it ain't nothing judgment coming soon. By the way, that was a great speech. I will let them live, and I will examine your memories to see if they are worthy, and then I will return for judgment. Like, ominous. Ominous. Like, we ask the question after Thanos, how do you raise the stakes from there? The Celestials raise the stakes the creators of the universe are now judging humanity that raises the stakes and that final thing of foreboding, I will return for judgment. Like what's Hawkeye going to do against, against Arsh and the judge. What's Thor going to do against Arsh and the judge. What's Hulk going to do against Arsh and the judge. I mean, it, you want to talk about increasing the threat level. Yeah. Look up in the sky. That's it right there. The dude with the six glowing eyes. That is the increase in the threat level right there. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see. All right. Next up. Sam Fisher writes, I really enjoyed this movie, but for some reason I felt a little unsatisfied. Maybe the end credit scenes weren't as interesting to me as everyone else. Ah, Hey, I get it. Listen, there are a lot of movies I see that some people really love and give a lot of praise to. And then I see them like, that doesn't mean that they're wrong and I'm right or anything. It's just that it hit them in a different way than it hit me. And if that's the way it hit you, Sam, that's the way it hit you. All right. Next up, we've got Darth Grant who writes, loved Eternals, Uh, loved Eternals, so much I can discuss It's in my top five, if not top three, favorite MCU movies. Makari and Druig are my favorites, followed by Sprite and Gilgamesh. Yeah, I love Makari and Druig. And really, when you think about Druig, that guy could have taken over the world at any time he wanted to. Think about that. He can't throw down and have a fight with Icarus or Gilgamesh or Kingo, but he literally could take over the world any moment he wanted to. He had the the power, or as he would say, power... How, how was his accent? I'm still like, it was kind of a, a mix between Scottish and East coast Canadian and Irish all kind of rolled into one, but how did he say the way he would say power? Oh, I have the power, power. I don't know, but his accent was cool. I don't care what anybody says. I thought Drew's accent was super cool. Anyway, he had the power to take over the whole world anytime he wanted. And it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. All right. Uh, Let's see. Next up. Uh, Sam Fisher writes, I really like the twist of Icarus actually being the killer, but they showed Ajak and him in the trailer, so I knew he was lying about something. Yeah, there was. Well, first of all, like we saw in the trailer, that part was confusing for me because we see in the trailer um, Ajak and Icarus sitting on her deck, right? When she says Thanos. So we see that in the trailer. But that hadn't happened in the movie by the time they find her body. So I either knew, A, there's a flashback coming, or B, she's actually still alive and is going to come back at some point. So that kind of gave a little bit of that away, Sam. All right, Sam also writes, When this movie was first announced, I could have sworn they also had announced Gilgamesh as the villain. Maybe I'm crazy. Nobody announced anybody as the villain. Uh, No, there was absolutely, maybe some Gus's gas station reviews dot fart Said I, I think Gilgamesh is going to be the bad guy, but uh, no, Disney never announced that Gilgamesh is going to be the villain. That much we can say for sure. All right, next up, Sam Fisher writes, uh, Kingo stole the show for me. Kamel Najiani was awesome in this, like at 100% awesome. He was great. I kept expecting him to Han Solo at the end. Jolie, for me, was a weak spot. Her acting wasn't great, and her accent was inconsistent. Again, for me, it had nothing to do with her acting. To me, it was a matter of I don't think she and Chloe Zhao really nailed down who they thought Thena should be. I, I That's just the impression I got. I, I just got this impression they were never 100% sure on who this character is. And it so it felt a little like there was a bit of a dichotomy going on. I'm not talking about the Mad Weary. There felt like there was a bit of a dichotomy going on. It never quite clicked. Like they never quite like the acting was great, but she did not quite not didn't quite know what to act at there. At least that's how I felt. I, I don't know. I could be wrong about that. All right. Sam also writes. I also had zero reaction to Ajax's death. I didn't know her enough. And see her enough to really care when she died. Uh, Hayek, though, was excellent. Yeah, and I don't know that we needed as an audience to care as much about Ajax's death. I think all narratively speaking that was needed is that we understand that her death impacted the Eternals. It wasn't meant to be impactful on us because you're right. We didn't know her enough but all from a narrative point of view that was important is that we understood this was impacting the Eternals and how it would motivate and change their course of action. So that was the key thing there. All right. Uh Darth Grant writes. Macarius Feisty, uh Blade's voice at the end was nice. Eros and Thanos being Eternals confuses me. I don't know how Avengers how the Avengers beat Arishem. Yeah, let's just straight up, let's just be clear. The Avengers can't beat Arishem. They just can't. They're going to have to build up to something here. Now, th- I might be way off on this, but they're going to have to build up to something here in the MCU that is not just Endgame, where Wakandans and the sorcerers and the Avengers and all and you know Captain Captain Marvel and all in the and every, everybody that's been in the MCU so far has to come together. To fight off Thanos and his army. This is going to be next level. Because it can't just be the Avengers. And all the other Earth heroes. It's going to have to be every universal hero. They can possibly come across. Including the Eternals. And whatever else is out there waiting for us. In phase 4 or phase 5. Wherever we're at now. I lost count. It's going to have to be a whole other level stuff. Because no. The the uh, the Avengers ain't beating Arsham. And hell, maybe even the other ones that show up. Maybe other Celestials show up too. I mean, they, they just can't. Hulk smash, sure, but not Arsham. So it's going to be neat to see where they go. All right, uh, let's see. Next up, we are at uh, Sam Fisher writes, Arsham was awesome. The camera angle they used they used kept making me feel like I do when I look at a high ceiling. It made me nauseous. I agree. They would always show, like, Cersei, this big and harsh. It was just awe-inspiring. Like, his his mass is just awe-inspiring, and I got that feeling every time they showed him. Every time they showed him, you could feel it. Sam also writes, and you were right, everything else feels small, but not because of the time scale, but because of the problem they were trying to solve. You know, one of the things that I said coming out of Eternals, and I tweeted about this, I said, look, I'm not giving away any spoilers, but after watching Eternals, every other problem that the MCU has ever had suddenly feels insignificant and small. Like, who cares if Iron Man stopped you know, Jeff Bridges in Iron Man 1. Who cares? Who cares if Ant-Man stopped Yellow Jacket from selling his tech to Hydra? Who cares if Hydra took over world governments? It's all insignificant to Arashim the Judge looking at Earth saying, I'm going to come back and judge y'all. Nothing else matters. Everything else feels small. Even Thanos suddenly feels small by comparison. I'm not saying that's either a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying it, it shakes your head a little bit. It shakes you, really does. All right, Abdullah uh, al writes in, I liked Eternals, but one thing that annoyed me was there was barely any consequences for Icarus killing Ajax. Did you feel the same way? No, not at all, because there was really no, like, that discovery is made by the other Eternals and by the way no consequences the dude died he ultimately he ultimately died a rack of consequences and guilt and identity and all that kind of stuff wrapped into it he literally felt like he had no other option but to fly himself into the sun and kill himself yeah there was consequences for his actions absolutely there was As far as consequences from the other Eternals, they literally just found out and then they were battling him. I mean, it's not like he was around after the battle for us to see that you are outcasts from the rest of us Eternals, Icarus, because you killed Ajax. There was no time for that. They literally found out, immediately went into battle with him, and then at the end of the battle, before there could have been any other consequences, he took his own life. So, yeah, narratively, there were massive consequences to his decisions, like massive. All right. Uh, next up, uh, Sam Fisher writes, I think we'll be seeing more of Lauren uh, Ridloff. She was great both inside and outside the MCU. I believe that's the girl who plays Makari. because I, somebody I have never seen her before. Somebody said she's in one of the Walking Dead stuff. I don't watch the Walking Dead stuff, uh, at least not anymore. I haven't for a couple of years. But um, but if that's her, yeah, we're we're gonna see more of her because I thought she was great in this. I really do. Marie Seifring writes, Patton Oswalt as Pip the Troll, great CGI, not so much. Completely agree, M- Marie. Love that Patton Oswalt is in the MCU. Of course, he was already in the MCU uh, to a degree. He was in uh, Agents of Shield, of course, but this is his next go around in the MCU. It's just I really need them to do better with that uh, CGI for sure. The Iberian Troll writes, one of two. Really liked Eternals, not as much as Shang-Chi, but definitely much more than Black Widow. This is as close to high sci-fi as Marvel will ever get. I agree, I liked it a little bit more than Black Widow. And I like Black Widow. I had like Eternals, I like Black Widow, but I had some significant problems with it, particularly with their villains. Terrible job with their villains. Um, I, for me, I, for me, I, just speaking for myself, would rank the MCU films this year as Shang-Chi, Eternals, Black Widow. I like all of them, Uh, but Shang-Chi is the one that I truly, deeply love. But, uh, yeah, I would put Eternals above Black Widow as well. All right, Uh, let's see here. Uh, The Iberian Troll, oh, number two, sorry. Sure, the deviants are meh and the pace is slower than usual for the MCU, but I honestly don't understand the problem critics have with the film. Again, when you say the problems critics have, which critics? Half of them like it, half of them didn't. So just, you know, it's not the critics. Everybody speaks about the critics as if they're a a unimind. They're not. They're very diverse and very different, and movies like Eternals really shows that. They're very divided on this. Some liked it, some didn't. So there's that. All right. Next up, Ketchup on Eggs writes, "Um, I loved it from start to finish. The pacing was great. The jump between timelines was refreshing, and I personally never felt overwhelmed or bored. Yeah, listen, I thought... I never felt any, like with all the problems I had with the movie, pacing was never one of them. I never felt pacing was an issue or a problem in this film. I thought it was paced very well. I thought it moved at a terrific clip. I thought they knew when to jump back and forth between time. I knew I felt like they knew exactly when to reveal certain bits of information to the audience. I have a number of issues with the film. None of that for me was one of them, though. I thought that was very well orchestrated, but that's just me. <clears throat> all right, next up. Marie Seifring writes, how is Cersei powerful enough to turn a baby celestial into stone? Well, two things. She's an eternal. First of all, we find out in the fight with the, with the deviants in the jungle that she's more powerful than she thought she was to start with. But then at the end, it's, she's combined with all the power of the Eternals wrapped up into her. And also, she was also joined in the Unamind with Tiamat because that's how we find out from Fastos that that's how the Eternals survived the explosion of the worlds that the Eternals or that the Celestials uh, uh, experience the Emer—I'm tripping over my tongue here badly— the emergence happens on worlds. That's how they survive. They're kind of clumped into this power unification with the celestials being born as well. She was able to harvest all that power and boom, amplify hers, turn them into a giant rock in the middle of the uh in the one in the middle of the ocean. And the one in the middle of the Indian Ocean. All right. Uh, the Iberian Troll writes Isn't it ironic that the MCU Is criticized for being formulaic Yet when they try something different They get their worst critical reception yet I mean that's Listen that's true of everything right Audiences complain Hollywood doesn't do any original movies When the reality is they do They make more original movies today than any other time in history But as soon as they make those movies Nobody goes out to support them Nobody went to go see Antlers Nobody went to go see Last Night in Soho Nobody went to go see, like, a lot of, like, all these great original movies come out, and people are going to watch them. So it's the same thing, yeah. Uh, do something totally different, MCU. Do something, like, way out there, way totally different. So they do something way totally different. Oh, no, that doesn't feel like the MCU to me. And they're right. It doesn't feel like the MCU, but I still thought it was great. But listen, let's not make excuses. It's not like they're saying they didn't like it because it felt different. There are there are issues in this film that people wouldn't like. And I I totally understand that. I do. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Scott D who writes, I love that Eternals inspired stories of heroes, monsters, and deities in Earth's history and religions. Some great examples shown in the credits imagery. I agree. Like if these immortal beings were around, they were going to have a lot of influence over a lot of things. I still love that thing. Icarus, the boy flew too close to the sun. Ah, Sprite actually made that up when we were in Athens. I mean, I love that. Or when Athena has Excalibur and Sprite's like, Arthur always did have a crush on you. I mean, I just thought that was really cool. I, I love the way they tied that in Scott. All right. Marie Seifring writes overall. I liked Eternals. I wouldn't say it's my favorite MCU film. Maybe in my top 10. I like that. Marvel is willing to try new creative things. Completely agree. Cause as they get, uh, they're approaching 30 movies. Now they're getting close to 30 movies. At some point you either got to end it and then reboot the the Marvel movies in a few years or you've got to keep creating new things and trying different things and go in different directions and whatever. Right. And that's what they're doing here. And I think it's potentially exciting. We'll see what happens. All right. Next up LJ writes, I love eternals and I like the open spoilers discussions makes me go and watch the movie again. What makes you watch a movie again? Also have a great day. Well, I mean, it's really simple for me. Movies are experiential events. Movies are experiential events. We go to movies to have an experience. Whether that's an experience of laughter or joy or dread, if it's a horror, or, or wonder or amazement or thrills or pondering, we go to movies to have an experience. And if a movie can deliver an experience, an enjoyable experience, whether it's a horror one or a laughter one or an emotional one or whatever. If a movie delivers an experience, you want to go back and have that experience again. If you go to a restaurant and you have a dish that you loved eating, you had a great experience eating the dish there, you'll want to go back again. If you love the experience riding a roller coaster, you'll want to go back to that theme park and ride that roller coaster again because you love the experience. You have sex with a certain person and the sex was great. You want to go back and have sex with that person again because it was a great experience. So when I go to a movie and I have a great experience, I have a positive experience. Again, whether it's a, a, a thriller kind of experience, an excitement experience, a laughter experience, a, a horror experience, a pondering experience, a philosophical experience, whatever. If I go to a movie and it delivers that experience, I want to go back and have it again. Just like a dish at a restaurant, just like a roller coaster, just like sex. I want to go back and have that experience again. It's why I went like I had such a great experience of Shang Chi. I went back like seven times. I just keep going, man. I just kept going, and uh, that's that's what it's and, and to me, Eternals deliver that experience like a different kind of experience than I've ever had with a different MCU film. But that's just me. All right, next up, uh, pretentious Cameron writes. That's one of my favorite uh, usernames so far. Uh, this is one of my favorite MCU movies. It was gorgeous. I love the characters and the build up to the finale. I actually wish the movie was longer. Yeah, I mean. And it is a long MCU movie, man. It is a long movie. that had a lot to pack in there. And it still felt like they could have used a little bit more room to breathe. I agree with you on that, man. All right. Next up, Dropkick Aggie writes, Damn good film. Was the most epic of all the MCU films. Great story slash mythology and amazing chemistry among the main characters. Thank you. Listen, that hasn't been mentioned enough here. The chemistry between the characters to me is an absolute highlight. Like the uh, Icarus and Cersei, uh, Gilgamesh and Thena, Druig and Macari, uh Sprite and Cersei. I mean, uh, Kingo uh, and Karun. I mean, I just, it, it, they just made it work. When the characters on screen can work for you like that, it goes a long way. So I agree with you, Dropkick. Thanks for bringing that up. All right, Dropkick also writes, biggest complaints, pacing in the first act. I like the pacing first act. Terrible acting slash dialogue of Icarus and Thena characters. Totally disagree. I totally disagree about Icarus. Uh, but, Thena, there was, like I said, a dichotomy issue there that I don't think they ever worked out. Uh, convent plot points to create conflict among Eternals. Convent, like the nunnery? Do you mean convenient plot points to create conflict among the Eternals? If you're talking about the whole issue about do we save humanity... Or do we follow the plans of the universal creators and the thing? That's not a convenient plot. That's not a convenient plot point. That is a major philosophical moral dilemma that they're faced. I wouldn't call that a convenient plot point at all. Oh, that's, that's that's just me. Uh, All right. Next up. Uh, let's see. Ace infinity rights. One to three. Hey, John, I've been a fan since the AMC days. Thank you so much, Ace. I have not wrote in two years, but with this movie, I just had to participate in this discussion. Well, it's good to have you here, Ace. Um, uh, You son of a, you had already seen Eternals when a viewer asked you about Blade. You somehow kept a straight face and you said you don't know. I barely stopped myself from exploding in my theater when I heard Ali's voice. I like the movie Thumbs Up but it felt flawed to me. I, I agree. There are flaws in this movie for sure. cat uh, keeps it out of me for being a top 10 MCU film. I feel it is missing something. For example, the Icarus betrayal felt very empty. Ooh, I disagree about that. Anyway, you saw his inner conflict with his choice. Uh, Richard Madden did a, did a terrific job, in my opinion, but you didn't feel it. See, I don't know, man. I did. When, when I, I mean, again, I'll just speak for myself in my own experience when you realize that Icarus is the one that killed Ajax, and you understand why he did it. And I love the fact that when he flies his, her body back to her ranch, you see that it pained him. The conflict was there instantly and you saw it in him and I felt it. Now you didn't, and your experience is no less valid than mine, just different. You had a different experience than me. But I really did feel that. I really did. Now, I do have a number of issues with the movie, obviously. But that one that one worked for me. It really did. But thanks for sending your thoughts there, uh, Infinity. I appreciate it. Alright, Sam Fisher writes I also really love the use of Pink Floyd's Time at the beginning That was that was a very appropriate use of the song, I agree I'm a massive Pink Floyd fan, one of my favorite bands Yeah, I'm finding the MCU's getting better and better When they do use songs in their movies They're very fitting They're getting quite good at that actually Alright, Johnny Weiner writes One of two uh, It was meh My main problem is most of the Eternals are unlikable Some of them are either dead jerk, uncontrolled Or disappeared halfway through the film Uh, Or lied. Am I supposed to like this team? I was liking Icarus until they made him the betrayer out of nowhere, and now I should feel sorry for him? Sigh. Well, I think, again, Johnny, first of all, I think all of them are likable. Uh, I think Fastos was great. I think Druig, when you understand his dilemma, like, why is he so angry? I love what he says to Ajax when he says, I'm watching these people kill each other and I have the power to stop it and I'm not allowed to. Do you know what that does to you over the centuries? I thought that moment was amazing. I thought that is character work right there. That whole confrontation where he's finally had it. Like when you understand, like he, this is a dude who has amazing amounts of compassion and he's like, I have to watch these people killing each other. I love these people and I have to watch them kill each other and I have the power to stop them and I'm not allowed. Do you understand what that does to your mind after centuries? It'll mess you up. And so, yeah, I loved that. And I love that fact that there were repercussions to him having to make that choice. I, I personally thought that was beautiful. Gilgamesh was infinitely likable. Thena with her suffering, with her ailment, with the Mad Weary, which we know is just the reflections, the echoes of the memories that she already had that weren't properly erased from her, driving her crazy and fracturing her mind. I, So, yeah, man, listen, again, your perspective on that is no less valid than mine, Johnny. It's just a great example that th- films are subjective. It hit you that way. But I got to tell you, it hit me very differently. It hit me very differently. And that's OK. That's the beautiful thing about films. Thanks for sharing your perspective on it, man. All right. Uh, let's see. Next up, we have Ace Infinity writes in, um, I also want to say a very warm thank you to you and the team for all that you do. You continue to inspire me and keep me passionate about film. Oh, thanks so much for that, Ace. I really appreciate that. It's always cool when somebody wants to say something encouraging. I appreciate that very much. All right. Next up, we got Sully who writes one of two. I had a few issues. I didn't like that. Icarus betrayed them. How little screen time. Some of them got, we never got a true team battle with all eight. There's more than eight. Uh, Galactus is totally. Oh, that was no, no, no. Sully, 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 Sully. Uh, overall, I'd say I liked it. Definitely worth watching. I put it in the second tier of MCU. By the way, how much do we buy that Icarus Gilgamesh and Ajax stay dead? Well, see, here's the thing. Um, um, Those specific characters that we knew are dead. That being said, in Cersei's vision that Arashem shows her about the World Forge, she sees many copies of them, right? So we may come across another Icarus at some point. We may come across another Ajax, and we may come across another Gilgamesh. I don't, but I believe those individual characters that we saw, I believe they truly died. And if we see another Eternal that looks like Richard Madden and has that power set, he could very well be a completely different character, like a different personality, different moral compass, different everything. I I don't know, but I do believe those individual characters uh, are dead. And as far as you didn't like that Icarus betrayed them, that's the story, man. I mean, I think to me, that's the story. So I kind of like that. All right. Next up. A-Rod, uh, 2006 writes one of two Galactus is totally going to be on this council of celestials that will judge earth in the sequel, right? I don't think so. Glory's Zal confirmed that the mystery voice was blade in the end credit. Are there any blade slash black Knight connections and how that might play in the MCU? The MCU. Remember, we've already know the MCU takes can take massive liberties. Massive, massive liberties with the comic material and go in very different directions. So I am not personally aware of the any connection in the comic books between Black Knight and, and Blade. I am not as well versed in that stuff as say uh, Robert Meyer Burnett would be. But it doesn't really matter. The comics are the comics, the MCU is the MCU. So they've got it there, but I'm not aware of any. A-Rod. I'm not aware of any off the top of my head there. All right, next up. Um, Square Buzz HQ writes, Loved it. After a second viewing, I enjoyed it more as Zhao took a unique route of advancing the story through each character's unique journey. Anyone noticed the similar group shot of Gil's death and Infinity War when Cap realized they lost? Um, I didn't, but that's an interesting observation. Anyway... I completely agree. Chloe Zhao's approach to this movie was such a refreshing change. Not that the rest has become stale. I'm not suggesting that. But was such a refreshing change of direction that, again, the real momentous thing about Eternals to me is that it opens up now the MCU to not only tell really different stories about... Celestials, the origins of the universe, these these characters that are like beyond infinite time and all that kind of stuff, and the, the introduction of Celestials, but also how they tell their stories, because Eternals to me is such a departure from how they tell the stories as well. So it opens up a lot of that Square Buzz. So thanks for that. And by the way, is Square Buzz tipped in like twenty bucks for that. Thank you, Square Buzz. Appreciate your support, dude. All right. Um, let's see here. Sully writes. Uh, oh, sorry. We already got that. Yes. Uh, Sophia 2090 writes, one of two. I grew up on Bollywood movies, so it's a big part of my life. So I was very excited for the Kingo dance number, and I saw Kamal uh, say they brought in uh, 50 Bollywood dancers and a choreographer to make it look authentic. I went with four people who grew up in the same, and we all agree that was terrible. <laughs> I look Obviously, I did not grow up on Bollywood stuff. So I, I, I have no point of reference. But I'd be lying to you unless I told you I loved the scene. I thought the scene was great. Even the way Camille. Camille was so good in that. I mean, but, hey, I will I will defer to your expertise on this, Sophia. I will defer to your expertise that it was terrible because to me it worked really, really well. I, I love that scene. I love it every time I watch it. All right. Mason Hawking writes. I can't believe I saw Kumail Nagiani finger blasting people on the big screen. What a time to be alive! Oh, and Han Solo was uh, on the TV on the plane. Was it? I didn't even notice that. That would t- I mean, now next time I'm gonna have to go back and watch Eternals again and pay attention for that. Hawking, you just set. You just let me know about a little, uh, uh, a little uh, Easter egg in there that I totally missed. Now I'm gonna have to go back and look for it. Thanks for letting that putting that in there. All right. Last question, guys, before we're going to take a little bit of a break because we're almost two hours into this already and I badly need to use the bathroom. So last question we're going to get here is, um, the Bollywood dance was such a bummer because we were so excited to see us represented in a big-budget MCU blockbuster, but that scene ended up being a big can of farts, but we enjoyed the movie LOL. I mean, listen, Sophia, again, all I can tell you is It gave me an appreciation. Now, again, I defer to your expertise. You know way more about this than I do. I can just tell you what me, as a Canadian white dude who hasn't been exposed to a whole ton of Bollywood in my life, what impact it had on me, which was I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was fun. I thought they made it funny. Um, And it just that these are the kinds of movies that Kingo – would totally be making. And yeah, so I, again, I defer to your expertise, but for me, I, I, kind of loved it. I thought it was kind of great. Okay, guys. Hey, just so you know, I am about to uh, shut down the uh, super chat feature on YouTube because we already have way more comments and questions that you guys have sent in than we are possibly going to be able to address. Like there is no way, We're getting through all of them. We're going to have to do a companion video to this one in the coming days. So I am going to take a quick, um, five minute break here. Give you guys a chance to run, use the bathroom, grab something to eat, do whatever. I got to run, use the bathroom. I'm not going to lie to you. I need to go take a piss, man. We've been going for two hours. I need to go use the bathroom and I'm two cans into Zevia. Zevia Cola sponsor me. You insufferably cheap sons of bitches. Um, so I need to go use the bathroom, give you guys a chance. So while I am gone, in a minute, I'm going to turn off the Super Chat feature. If you got a last-minute comment or question you want to fire in, go ahead and do it. Just know it won't be addressed until at least we get to to do a companion video for this thing. Probably later tonight or tomorrow we'll post a companion video for this. But, uh, yeah, so fire one in now because I'm going to turn it off in just a second. So hang tight, guys, or run, use the bathroom, whatever. We will be right back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. We'll see you in a minute. Everybody, And we are back. Thank you for your patience and indulgence. As I was taking just a little bit of a break there. Uh, we are now two hours in to this open spoiler discussion of the Eternals. We have a lot of questions still to get through. I will let you guys know that uh, my voice is starting to go a little bit. So I'm going to push through. And get through as many of the remaining questions as we still have here to go. I have turned off the super chat feature because we've taken as many in as we can get. So whatever questions I do not finish here uh, today, we will do a companion video that will probably be up tomorrow. That will probably be up uh, sometime tomorrow, but we will get through all of the questions that you guys, comments and questions you guys sent in. We will get through all of them. Not in this one sitting, though, apparently. So I will get through as many more here as we possibly can. Okay, let's pick things up here, shall we? And we'll keep things on going with uh, Leo Liang, who writes, Ajax was Marvel's bait-and-switch of the year. I don't know what that means at all. I have no idea what you're referring to. Uh, Isaac Beebe writes, I could have sworn that voice in the second credit scene was The Watcher. See, I had other people say that too. But as it turns out, Chloe Zhao did an interview and confirmed that it was actually the voice of Mahershala Ali as Blade. Yeah, I, like I said, I had people writing to me on Twitter as well saying, man, I loved hearing that The Watcher was in it. Does this mean that the events of What If are going to be tied in now? To Blah, blah, blah. It was like, well, hate to burst your bubble. But that was Mahershala Ali, and now Chloe Zhao has confirmed it. You're right, but very excited that it was Mahershala Ali. All right, next up, Leo Liang writes, I felt like there was a good story here, just not in this movie. Although this does make me want to look into Eternals more. Is there a good comic storyline I should be reading? I mean, just about anything on them, but hop online, search Google... Uh, find the runs the you should be looking at, and it's pretty cool. It's a little bit different, though. Like I said, the the way they're doing in the MCU is a departure from the comic books, but that's not unusual for the MCU. But, uh, hey, yeah, too bad that you didn't like the movie as much as I did. But, hey, we all have these experiences, and that's what these movies are supposed to be. All right, Joel writes, My girlfriend and I love the movie. I really wanted Kingo to participate in the final fight more, though. Again, it's... That's the difference between the MCU and a lot of other things. They don't just do things for fan service. I mean, there's a lot of fan service in the MCU, don't get me wrong, but the story always comes first, and that's why they work. And in that case, uh, we talked about a little bit earlier, but the story needed one of the Eternals to take the position of, I agree with Icarus, but I do not and I will not fight against and try to take away the things that my other Eternals love, so I'm just checking out. One of them had to do that. And I think that served the story better, to be honest with you. It would have been fun seeing Kingo in the final fight, too. But that, to me, made more sense. And if Kingo really does, he's all about family. And he sees all of them. Icarus, Sprite, Cersei, Athena. Uh, he sees them all of his family. He ain't going to fight them. He's not going to fight against them. And that's why he checked out. And that made it more compelling for his path, his narrative path as a character. Because he was staying more true to his character. Although it would have been fun. It would have been fun to see him fight in that last scene, for sure. Uh, Jarek Yan writes, Quite liked Eternals. My only complaint is hearing Kit Harington and Richard Madden say, I love you, Cersei. Takes me out of the movie completely. Again, I knew there was going to be something who mentioned that, but I, I thought it was just hilarious seeing Jon Snow saying, I love you, Cersei. By the way, speaking of Richard Madden, something we did, I can't believe we didn't mention at the beginning of this. Can't believe we didn't mention this at the beginning. For the first time ever, in an mcu film we had thrusting oh wow. my goodness not only was a naked icarus laying on top of a naked circe but we saw thrusting going on in an mcu film little bit of thrusty thrusty happening there little edgier than i would have thought we've gotten in an mcu movie little little more edgy Okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something that Anne will hate that I'm gonna tell you. But Anne, like, thinks that Gemma Chan is like the most beautiful woman in the world. And she thinks Richard Madden may be the handsomest man in the world. And there was one I've seen the movie with her twice. The second time we saw it, um, one of the scenes when it's just them on screen together, just in a normal scene, like not the lovemaking scene, but whenever there was a scene where the two of them were on screen together and literally said out loud. So to the point that other people audibly and out loud that she wanted the characters to bone, (laughs) like whenever they were on screen together, bone her, bone him. She was like saying out loud. And there's some people around us kind of giggling. So, Yes, and and uh, yelling out, bone, bone. So, yeah, and I uh, I thought it was good. All right, uh, next up, we go to, who's up next? That was uh, uh, Jaron Yen, did we do that? Yes, we did. Next up, Casinema Reviews writes, Fun fact, David Kay, the voice actor for Arshem, or Arshem the Judge, has voiced both Megatron and Optimus Prime before. That is a fun fact of cinema. Thanks for sharing it, man. I appreciate that. Uh, let's see. Uh Jace writes, the beacon in Shang-Chi and the, the thing Eros is holding have to be connected. Two pulsing yellow orbs in the in the back-to-back post-credit scenes is far too coincidental for them not to be connected somehow. Well, listen, obviously, as soon as rings around Eternal's wrist pop up. You have to start to wonder if there was a connection between Shang-Chi and this. And then when you think back to the post credit scene in Shang-Chi where they're saying these things are older than anything on record, Eternals have been doing this for millions millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years. It is theoretically possible that at some point in the history of Eternals, in the history of the cosmos, that another group of Eternals... Like, it's possible that Ajax... This wasn't the first group of Eternals to figure out what the real plan of the Celestials were. I assume that the Prime Eternal of every group of Eternals sent out through the universe at all time may have thought of this. And at some point, Fastos, or another version of Fastos eight million years ago thought, you know, maybe we could rebel against the Celestials if we created a unimind and created the bands. And those bands went on to become the Ten Rings. There are ten Eternals. <gasps> there are ten Eternals. There are ten rings. They must be connected. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. It's possible. Don't know. But I mean, it's not crazy because, yeah, we just had Shang-Chi in the Legend of the Ten Rings with these ten incredibly powerful rings. Then we go into the Eternals, where there's ten eternals, and they create these rings that have some kind of incredible power to them. There's a there's a, a technology to them. And somehow, maybe some way, the ten rings that Shang-Chi has are rings that were created millions of years ago by another Fastos, or this Fastos in another iteration of him you know, before he had his mind wiped 18,000 times, then those came to, fell to earth somehow and Shang-Chi's died. Da- I mean, maybe, maybe. I am not going to jump on the notion that these things are automatically connected because they're both circles, but it's not crazy to think that that's possible. It's not crazy to think that's possible. All right, let's keep going on here. Uh, next up. We've got Bryson who writes, who do you think is more powerful? Arsham or Kang? Arsham. Easy. Arsham created the universe. Arsham created suns and galaxies and universes. It's simple. It's Arsham. Next up, Shane Sekia writes, after watching a second time, I like this movie more than Shang-Chi. Ooh. If I was forced to give it another title, I'd call it The Tragedy of Icarus. Um, Yeah. I mean, but that kind of gives away the twist. (laughs) that would kind of be that would kind of be giving away the twist of the film. Um again, I I don't like it nearly as much as Shang-Chi. But that's I mean, I'm ridiculously in love with that movie. I love Shang-Chi. That movie's fantastic. So I don't quite do it, but hey, your experience with it was better than mine. So we've been hearing from some people whose experience with Eternals wasn't as good as mine. Yours was even better than mine and that's the that's the great thing about the subjectivity of film, Shane. So thanks for sharing your thoughts on it. All right, next up, Square Buzz HQ writes, I'm surprised to see no credit for the hand choreography for Fastos. Reminds me of the movements from uh, Julian Daniels' Doctor Strange magic movements. I, first of all, listen, I loved almost everything about Fastos. Like, including the way he was doing his whole Mission Impossible, like, and Tony Stark moving things around, but still, that was beautiful. But you ever notice, even the way, whenever the big hero lineup, you know, the hero lineup, right? Whenever it's like, Dun, 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 dun. And you see all the eternal standing there. I love that Fastos. You ever notice his pose? Fastos always has this pose. One hand behind his back, one hand like this. And only Fastos does that pose. There is something classy about it. And, of course, then to his whole thing about how he utilize the technology. I mean, Paperboy is for real, ladies and gentlemen. Paperboy got skills. All right. Uh, not all of you understood that reference, but believe me, paper boy's got skills. All right, next up. Cam 5326 writes, I don't think there's a villain problem. The story works in a way where I didn't feel like a main villain was missing or anything necessary. The struggles of the Eternals and Arsham were enough for me. No, 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 I get that. No, I'm not saying, I, I and I appreciate what you're saying, Cam, but understand that I'm not saying that the movie has a villain problem. The turn of Icarus and the Celestials themselves is more than enough to fill that void. What I am saying, though, is I had an issue with those, with that one element, the the uh, Deviants, that they did put forward as villains. I thought that was done poorly. And for other people, it worked very well. I'm not saying overall the movie lacked a good, strong villain. Oh, it definitely had that. Icarus, Arsham, as big as you get. But they were using Deviants as main villains in the film. And I thought that wasn't executed right. So I totally see what you're saying. And I agree with you, but that's not exactly what I was saying. You know what I'm saying? All right. That's not exactly what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Next up. Uh, let's see. Shane. Sekia writes, John, uh, can you do a Campia classroom on Celestials? How many are there? And does every populated planet contain one? What about Xandar and Titan removed? Okay, so listen, it's impossible to say because, again, the MCU handles its material far different than the comic books. It's based on the comic books, but then they take massive departures. Again, just look at Civil War. It's totally different from the comic book story of Civil War. Totally different. There's some thematic similarities, but other than that, it's a totally different movie. Age of Ultron is the same way, totally different. But I will tell you this: in asking the question about, does every populated planet contain a celestial? No. They Arsham is very clear as he's explaining things to Cersei that it's he chooses. He chooses certain. Not all inhabited planets have celestials growing inside of them. Arsham chooses specific planets. For that, So there's that. So no, Xandar was not one that held a celestial. Titan was not one that held a celestial. Those planets had their own problems. Those pro- planets had their own problems. All right. Uh, next up, we've got Cam 5326 writes, in a rare occurrence. Oh, let me say that again. In a rare occurrence, I didn't know which Eternals were going to survive this movie in the Marvel fake death universe. Good on them. RIP Gilgamesh. Listen, I remember some people asking, which Eternals do you think are going to die in this movie? And I said, well, I mean, I don't know, but my guess is none of them are going to die. That was my guess. But, oh my gosh, they killed Ajax, they killed Gilgamesh, and then Icarus ends up dying at the end. So, yeah. I I wouldn't have guessed that going into the movie. Would not have guessed that at all going into the movie. And yet, there we are. (laughs) There we totally are. All right, next up, we got J.W. who writes, so, if Eros is an Eternal and Thanos is brother, then does that make Thanos an Eternal? From what I recall, Thanos' planet wasn't destroyed by a Celestial. Um, again, I have no idea how they're going to handle this. In the comics, it's different. And it also, there are different iterations of the comic that give different backgrounds. But if I remember correctly, and a bunch of you guys in the live chat said I am remembering it correctly, um... Uh, Their parents are Eternals, and they are children of Eternals, but Eros specifically calls himself an Eternal, and in the movie, unlike in the comic books, Eternals are apparently, at least partially, if not entirely, cybernetic. How can they even have children? So, I guess Eros is himself an Eternal, does he refer to Thanos as his brother because Thanos was also an eternal? Well, that's something that probably would have been brought up and it wasn't. So could it be that made, the, and I'm, I'm speculating out of my ass here that is brother more a term of endearment. Did at some point Eros and Thanos become best of friends to the point that again, they do the whole, you know, uh predator, Carl Weathers, Arnold Schwarzenegger, hand grasp and say we are now brothers and they consider themselves brothers so that's why he refers to himself because there's not a real big family resemblance between harry styles and thanos not a big family resemblance so i don't know how they're going to handle that i don't know how they're going to handle that and there's no point in looking at the comics for the answer because i obviously they're already taking a big um a big different direction from the comics with the Eternals at all. So I have no idea what they're going to say about that. Are they literally brothers? Are they figuratively brothers? Are they eternal brothers? Are they just friendship brothers? I don't know what they're going to say. I really don't. All right. Um, uh, Sinkfield hops writes. Eros is biologically Thanos's brother. Well, obviously he's not in the movies because Eros, if he's an eternal is not a biological creature. He's not. Sinkfield hops. You can say Eros is biologic Thanos' brother. Well, he ain't in the MCU. Because if Eros is an Eternal, he's not a biological being at all in the first place. So that's why I'm saying I don't know uh, what they're going to do here. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to find out. Okay. Uh, Next up, we've got uh, Suthius who writes, I'm curious. If, depending on where Arashem sends the Eternals, if their skin or outer appearances change to fit the species of that planet. That is my assumption, Suthius. Uh, for example, in future installments, could we see Eternals that look Kree or Chataria or Sovereign? Great world expanding, which makes me ask more. I, I think so. To me, that's what makes sense. That's what makes sense to me. That he would want his Eternals to be able to blend in with whatever worlds he's sending them to. So at their core, they're kind of these cybernetic program beings, but then there's maybe a biological aspect to them over top of them, and they take on the appearance of whatever life is in that world that they're going to. I don't know. They don't really answer that question, but that seems – I think your rationale there makes perfect sense. That's my assumption until we hear otherwise. All right. Suthius also writes, I'm assuming there are celestials of different sizes. Arshim looks bigger than the Earth. The one is guardian. the one in Guardian seems small. Uh, then you have ones creating whole suns across the universe. is fascinating. I don't know if it all depends on how big nowhere is. It all depends on how big. I, I never really got a sense on the scale of nowhere, because nowhere in Guardians is the head of a dead celestial. So obviously the universe is at least aware of celestials. And of course we had ego, but um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's like, are they all the same size or are they varying, but just like human, human people are varying, but it's like, you're not going to get one human. That's 10 times bigger than another human, maybe three times bigger, maybe twice as big at most, but not 10 times bigger. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It's an interesting question. All right, guys. Last question I'm going to be able to do tonight because my, my voice is almost cooked here. I Just so you guys know, I also did an hour-long companion video earlier today. Yay for having weekends off. But, yes, I also did an hour-long companion video earlier today. So I've now been doing almost three and a half hours of straight talking today, and my voice is almost cooked. So we'll do this last one. And don't worry. I will make a companion for this. We will get all the rest of the questions done in the next 24 hours. But we're going to end off tonight with one from Cam K, who writes, uh, "Love this movie so much, watched a second time, still loved. Uh, We've seen a little of Druig and Cersei with Unimine Power. How about Makari next time? Well, what Makari? Yeah, because Druig, remember, Druig was about to be able to mind control a Celestial, and he was, he was putting him to sleep. Remember, we saw the volcano stop. He was literally putting, Druig was putting a Celestial to sleep crazy. That's insane amount of power. And then Cersei literally killed a celestial, turned a celestial to stone. What would Makari be if she was on the receiving end of the Unamind power? I or, or Icarus. How powerful would Icarus be if he was on the receiving end of that power? Sam Wright is writing in the in the live chat, unlimited power! Yeah, this is exactly what it would have been. I, I mean, it absolutely nutty to even think about, Cam. All right, guys, listen up. There's still ones to come from Suthius uh, and Luke 1, 2, 3, 4 and all that kind of stuff. Do not worry, guys. We're going to do a follow-up. We're going to We are going to do a part two in the next 24 hours of this open spoiler discussion of Eternals. Uh, but my... Yeah, I'm going to need to rest my voice for the evening before I'm able to do that, I think. But that will do it for us for right now. This will be the end of part one of our Eternals Open Spoiler discussion. Thank you guys so much for being here and participating in this. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in the theories, thoughts, observations, opinions, and questions regarding Eternals. It may not be the best MCU movie, but damn, it's one that we're all going to want to talk about, I think. So thanks for sending it all in. Again, keep your guys eyes open for part two of this eternal spoiler discussion that will address all the rest of the questions that you got guys sent in. I think we got about halfway through Two, almost two and a half hours in, and we've only gotten about halfway through. Uh, so we're going to have a part two to this and we will get all the rest of them answered guys. Thanks a lot for being here. I had a blast doing this. Cannot wait. Don't forget, join us again tomorrow morning for the John Campia show as we return. And then, of course, we're going to have a part two of this as well. So, thank you so much, everybody, for participating. That'll do it for me for now. My name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye bye.